All right. Let me just begin uh, with, with the note that uh, pursuant to the authority gr- by the by the Massachusetts legislature extending um, Governor Baker's original suspension of the open meeting law on March 12th, 2020, and his his strict limitations on the number of people who would gather in any one place on March 15th, 2020. Uh, this meeting of the Medfield Board of Selectmen is being held via remote participation. Uh, no in-person attendance to the public is permitted, but we've made every effort to ensure that persons who wish to view the meeting while in progress may do so by following the instructions in the meeting notice. I appreciate everyone's flexibility with the change from a hybrid to a, a Zoom meeting necessitated by um, exactly what you think is necessitated by as we all manage the various sets of uh, rules, regulations, and provisos and recommendations that we're required to do because of the current um, circumstance and the reaction of people to it. So um, we will begin. This meeting is called to order. Um, this meeting is being video recorded. And we will begin by taking a moment of appreciation for our troops serving around the globe in defense of our country. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Our first agenda item for today is the public hearing on the Medfield Community Electricity Aggregation Plan. Um, I'm going to declare that the public hearing is now open. Uh, We will take uh, public comment uh, from the public um, and any interested parties on this during the course of the hearing. We also have gotten some written comments, which will be read uh, and responded to as we go through. Um, Do we have the, the community Choice Aggregation Committee with us, Christine? Yes, we do. All right. Is someone going to be making an initial presentation before we take public input? Yes, Patrick will be making a presentation to you. Okay, great. And then we'll take, if anyone would like to, to comment or has questions, uh, please just put your name and address in the Q&A. We'll promote you um, and you can raise your question. And then for those of you who submitted written comments in advance, uh, we'll read those comments and respond to them or take them into consideration as appropriate. So Patrick, welcome. Thank you very much. And I am joined by um, Bob Winograd uh, from the committee. And Bob is going to uh, start us off here um, and then turn it back over to me. Terrific, can everyone hear me? This is Bob speaking. Uh, Patrick, back to the first slide, please. Um, if everyone can hear me, uh, if I'm, uh, please just nod. Okay, terrific. Uh, this, the public review phase of the uh, Medfield Municipal Aggregation Plan uh, began one month ago at the December 21st Board of Selectmen meeting. For those of you listening now who may not have been uh, with us last month, I'll review briefly what this plan is all about. Uh, next slide, please. There we go. Uh, goals for this program. Um, I'm not gonna read them, they stand for themselves. I'll just be silent for a moment for anyone who'd like to review them. So what has happened so far? Next slide, Pat. Uh, At town meeting last uh, May, residents approved the development of this program for town residents and businesses. Over the summer, a subcommittee was formed that vetted an experienced consulting group to assist us with development of this program, and that consulting group is good energy. This fall, a plan was written to get us through the state-mandated steps in development of this program, and the plan itself was submitted for public review last month, again, as I mentioned a moment ago, at the December 21st Board of Selectmen meeting. So 
So how do we um, promote this uh, public review of the plan? Uh, first, um, the plan was posted on the town website uh, via a link to our new uh, Medfield Community Electricity, otherwise known by its abbreviation MCE, um, our new Medfield Community Electricity website. That website is electricity.medfield.net. Uh, the town website direction to that uh, medfield.community.net. Posted uh, on both the website and MCE. Uh, soft copy, obviously, for anyone to re review online. But besides uh, access to soft copies on the town uh, and MCE websites, hard copies were made available at Town Hall and also at the Town Library. Notices were posted on bulletin boards over the last few weeks, Blue Moon, Brothers, other uh, organizations that have bulletin boards. Notices were run on Medfield Cable TV. Articles ran on Medfield Hometown Weekly, The Patch, Medfield Insider. There were postings on Facebook and Twitter. And finally, uh, a reminder for tonight's meeting, uh, an availability of the plan for review were spoken to at the January 11th Board of Selectmen meeting. Uh, that meeting happened a couple of weeks ago. So with all that said, with regard to how we tried to get uh, uh, visibility to this plan available to the public, what feedback have we gotten from this public review? And uh, also important, what are the next steps in developing our community aggregation program? So with that said, Patrick, take it from here. Great, thank you, Bob. So um, tonight we're having the public review and we'll review those comments that have come in. Um, the next step would be plan consultation with the Department of Energy Resources. They provide a, a consultation letter. And then we would um, bring this back to the Board of Selectmen to vote to approve the plan. So this is actually a little bit of, uh, of a change from when we've presented in the past. Um, typically what we've done is we've had the public review and if, if the board is comfortable, we'll, uh, we can approve the plan and then we can get that Department of Energy Resources consultation letter later. Um, the reason we're suggesting uh, getting the letter first and then sort of coming back to approve the plan um, is largely due to some recent rulings from DPU that, that came out just very recently. And they really emphasized that they'd like um, the plans to have sort of a, kind of like the absolute final language before they're uh, voted on locally and, and sent to DPU. And um, when we go to consult with the DOER, it's unlikely that they'll make changes, but it's possible. And also in the rulings that, that DPU just made, there are some honestly relatively minor uh, changes to language and whatnot that they're, they're suggesting. We'd wanna incorporate those into the Medfield plan as well. So um, we'll be able to summarize those and make sure the board uh, gets a copy of them and uh, when, when we bring the, the sort of final plan. Uh, back to you for the vote, um, but uh, that that's just a little bit of a slight change in the process uh, so that tonight we'll really just have, have the hearing. Um, and uh, and then, of course, just for, for everyone's uh, uh, on board, once, once we have that letter and you voted to approve the plan locally, then we'll go to the Department of Public Utilities uh, that will be looking for their review and approval, which could be, could take, uh, you know, quite a while. Um, and then once you're approved, then we're sort of ready to go out to bid for an electricity supply. Um, and we'll be looking at the market to see when would a good time be. And then 
when, if and when we do find a good electricity you know, supply contract for the town, then we'll have a start date, we'll have known rates, and then we'll be able to launch a education and outreach period prior to the start of the program so that everyone uh, we we're trying to do is make people aware of their ability to opt out of the program, particularly before the program starts. Um, so just as a quick reminder, the program's not launching this winter. So uh, their Eversource rates are very high right now. So you might be flooded with, with mailers and offers. Those would definitely not be coming from the town or the town's program. We'll, we'll be launching this winter. So what I'll do, I'll transition into a few slides reviewing some of the comments we've gotten. And then we can open up the public hearing and I'm happy to respond as the board would like to any, any comments or, or, or not. Um, so we've got uh, three comments that were um, taking sort of objection to the program being opt out. Uh, and that is, that means that everyone who's, who's eligible to we'll talk about that is automatically enrolled unless they choose to opt out. So the response here is, is uh, first off, I want to state there's two primary reasons that the program is, is an opt-out program. And the first is that the state law that enables the program authorizes it as opt-out. So you can there's a link there to the law if you'd like to take a read. Um, and then the other piece is that the idea is that we've constructed a default option, the one that you would be automatically enrolled into, that the idea is that we're trying to leave people better off than, than, than they currently are. Um, and I want to be clear, we can't guarantee savings, but the default that we'll talk about is going to be a little bit cleaner and we hope uh, a little bit cheaper than the Eversource basic service supply. So that's, that's the goal is that we're using this opt-out mechanism to hopefully leave people better off. Uh, but of course you can always, you can always opt out. Um, and I just wanted to clarify that automatic enrollment applies only to Medfield Electricity customers who have not already selected their own electricity supplier. If you want to check if you're eligible, you can go to this link here. It's a sample bill from Eversource. And if it says uh, Eversource under your electricity supplier section, you would be one of the um, accounts eligible for automatic enrollment. And uh, then just a reminder too at the bottom here that, you know, of course, take this opt-out provision very seriously. So we wanna educate everyone uh, to the best of our ability about their rights to opt out. So we'll do at least 30 days before the, um, before the program launches, a suite of, of education and outreach. And that is including a hard copy mailer to everyone who would be in the program. And that has all the rates and the information as well as a postage paid um, card that you could just sign and put back in the mail to opt out if you'd like. So try to make it as easy as, as possible um, and really get that, that awareness out there. Another comment we got just say, hey, I note there's no assurance of saving money for the individual consumer. And so um, this is actually, it's a great comment because we wanna be really transparent about this. You know, the goal, I think, of the program is to use the, the buying power we have of this program and, and strategic procurement to be able to provide stable and competitive prices. But we, we cannot guarantee savings compared to the utility. Um, and actually, you'll see the plan does say that wherever we mention something like savings, we're also going to mention that savings cannot be, be guaranteed. It's, it's actually a requirement from the DPU. Um, you know, all that said, uh, Medfield starting this at a time when there's a really good track record of what other aggregations have done. And, you know, for good energy, many of our programs have been in operation for over five years. 
Um, and statewide, I think we're up to maybe 130 or more approved programs. And so, you know, the, the, the longevity and the continued popularity of these programs, I think, speaks to the value they've been providing to communities. So, of course, again, recognizing that, that we can't guarantee savings, um, but that is, that is the goal. And I would just want to remind everyone that at any time, if you decide the program is not for you, you can leave. So you can either opt out before the program starts or at any time during the program, you can opt out and leave. There's never any penalty charge to, to get out. Um, so there's a, a comment about communication and uh, a little concern about no hard copy mailing planned. So I wanted to address this in, in two ways. So first, just to, to, as a reiteration, when we're, um, when we're launching the program, there will be a hard copy mailer to, to everyone. And we'll actually do, do two different types of mailings. So the first uh, will be a postcard that just says, you know, hey, we're the town of Medfield and we have a program coming. And it'll also provide information about a public meeting that you could attend. And then the second will be that that detailed letter I talked about that will have all the rates and the opt-out um, card, the postage paid card. And, and these will be going to everyone who's eligible for automatic enrollment. Um, but the, you know, the question did bring up uh, rate increases. <clears throat> what about communication for rate increases? So wanted to just speak to that for a second. Um, so once the program's up and running, rate changes, I wanna stress changes because it's possible <laughs> there could be decreases. They can really occur primarily in two, uh, two situations. So one is at the end of a, the first supply contract, if we're renewing the program, um, there'll be a new contract. And most likely, it'll be a different rate, um, and so that could be that could be a new rate, you know, for the next couple of years at a at a higher or lower value. And then the other is if a change in law occurs. This is something that is most common when the state passes a new a new regulation or law that that wasn't in place when we bid out the contract, but now you know everyone has to comply with it and there might be a cost to that. And so a good example is the uh, renewable portfolio standard. This, if, if in year one of the contract, the, the state says, we're gonna increase the renewable portfolio standard faster than, than originally, well, that, that's a new cost for the supplier. And what we would do is work with them and town to negotiate a fair, a fair, a fair cost increase that would reflect you know, the, the new change in law. Um, so those don't happen very frequently, but it is possible that, that they happen. Um, so in these cases, what the plan says is that we're definitely gonna do press releases, uh, you know, updates at the, at the Board of Selectmen and get this out on, on the, the town website, the program website. Um, we certainly would also, you know, wanna offer uh, uh, specific groups like, like uh, say, say senior center, um, seniors, uh, you know, other ways to, if, they, if we wanted to do a, a presentation or something, them. Um, mailers aren't planned or aren't required, I would say. What we, what we do see is that um, towns keep the, you, you have the option to do mailers. And many of our communities went during the renewals or sometimes in change of law, they choose to do a mailer, but sometimes they don't. So it's an option, I would say, that exists, but not a requirement. And um, I think that's a good way to, to have it so that you don't lock yourself into having to do a mailing because uh, there is cost to that, which would get baked into the rate, but, um, but you can do one if, if needed. And um, 
I think that that works well, you know, when, when the utility changes their rate every six months, you know, there's not like a new mailing, you know, sort of sent out about that. So um, many of our communities do do mailings and the plan certainly doesn't preclude that it would be an option. Uh, and then I think this might be our last one. Why is Medfield standard the default uh, for automatic enrollment? So I think just wanted to kind of pull this back. The, the plan offers four different electricity options. And the default is that one that's a little cleaner and also trying to have some savings. So it's kind of trying to be a win-win for both um, on, on both the environmental front and the economic front. And then the other options we have are sort of one option is the basic, which is the lowest cost. It only has the state minimum renewables. And we've got two of 50% and 100% renewable energy for those who really want to go green. So I think the, the committee you know, chose the Medfield uh, standard as the default to try to give everybody, you know, essentially uh, the majority of people um, will be in the default, uh, you know, something that was a little cleaner and, and a little greener. Uh, a good thing is this is also pretty common in Massachusetts now. A lot of communities, including some nearby communities like Millis um, and Natick and Dedham have a standard that's just like this, a little cleaner, a little greener. Um, and uh, Westwood uh, is launching soon, also has one. So I think with that, oh, finally, one other one. Um, this came from someone who provided a, a pretty detailed list of, of questions that um, we will be responding to and make sure the board gets a copy of, of that. But for the, the purposes of what we can go over during this public hearing, there was really two, um, two key questions around data. So the utility is going to be giving data to the competitive supplier who is, who is signed on to serve Medfield when, when we do the bidding. And what we wanted to highlight is uh, they were asking, you know, what, what kind of what kind of data uh, will be included because it it mentions um, you know addresses and um, customer identifying information, uh, and they asked, you know, will this include bank account or routing numbers? So good thing is no, this will not include any financial information. Um, the the supplier doesn't actually need any of that. So the supplier really just needs data to be able to enroll you. Um, to mail you the letters and to um, also to bid on the on the program. So the uh, so effectively, what there are some it, there there's a number of pieces of data mentioned in the um, in in the in the document, and then it says other data. And other data will probably include things like a customer name key. It's a four four letter code that's part of enrollment. Um, your meter read date, so we know when your electricity takes effect, service class, like residential versus commercial, and then also historical usage information, which the supplier needs to bid on to get a sense of what the, the load is. So that's um, that's the scoop there. And I think I think that's it. So I can um, I can stop sharing the screen now and turn it over back over to the, the board. Um, and happy to you know respond to any comments that come in as as you'd like. All right. Does anybody, any members of the public wish to address questions or comments at this time? Please just put your name in the Q&A with your address and we'll promote you to uh, ask your question or make your comment on this. Um, and Christine, that or Nick, whoever was was marshaling this, those responses addressed all the written comments that we received. 
yeah or, uh, yeah so so those were all the comments we received except i did want to mention that last comment had sort of a more detailed kind of laundry list of, of clarifications and questions and comments that um we will be provide we haven't had a chance to provide a full response to and we'll make sure the the board gets a copy of that Okay, just give anybody who has a question or comment a chance to identify themselves. While we're waiting, um, Peter Gus, oh, here we go. Um, so Bill Massaro notes that he submitted three pages of questions and he's willing to wait for answers. So um, thank, thank you, Bill. Um, any timetable on, on when it will, when we can get back to Bill on his, um, questions because we'll have to close this public hearing at some point oh yes certainly so we'll be able to um probably respond you know to bill i think this week um you know yeah but i think we can i think we can still i think the public hearing itself can be completed in terms of responding to any comments you know that sometimes we need to take those back and talk about those and um, whatnot. So I think those can happen post hearing. Okay. Pete, anything? Uh, no, Patrick, I thought that was an excellent presentation, very uh, um, clear. And, and I think this is a, just a, a great program for Medfield to undertake for our residents. So I'm on, all in favor. All right, Gus. Uh, I just endorse what Patrick covered. I think, you know, what I read into a couple of the questions was uh, actually a reflection of my very first questions when I was first introduced to this whole program, which is uh, the opt-out component of it. Uh, if anybody that pays any attention to psychological studies knows the default that you get defaulted to, there's usually a good reason for it. Uh, I think in Patrick, I think you, I think you did mention it was actually on the slide, but the, I, I think I'm comfortable at this point that we'll be from everything I've seen that we will be able to get to a program that will in fact leave people in a better spot if they simply allow themselves to be defaulted to the to the the op, you know the opt if they default opt in they will be in a better spot than they would otherwise be just being where they're at. Uh, so for those who have apprehensions there, I don't think I'm satisfied that you don't need to have those apprehensions. And I was that was where I was coming from with my first questions when I first got introduced to this. Uh, and then the other point to keep in mind is that the one thing I'm actually impressed with about the provisions is the if at any point in the process, for whatever reason in the process, you don't like it, you can get out of this and there's no. There's no kind of like lock-in period or extended processing period that you, you know, you got to be stuck there. So uh, if for whatever reason, by whatever standard someone's using, they just don't like how this thing lands on their account. Uh, it's actually been, you know, pleasant surprise to me to see how very easy it is to do that. Uh, program's trying to do a good thing. It's trying to do it in a way that uh, is both beneficial financially to people who, participate unless they make the decision that they'd like to pay extra to be, you know, more responsive. Uh, I, I don't see very much downside on this as long as we can put it all together into a program that, that achieves those goals. 
an addendum, if I could just add this very quickly, and that is the contents of this presentation were presented uh, to the Medfield Energy Committee as well, and that committee has voted uh, to approve its content and, uh, and uh, the plan in its entirety. So I just uh, want to make uh, that awareness to the committee. To everyone here. Thank you. All right, thank you. Looks like we have nothing else. So pending responses to Bill's questions. I think the hearing is closed. Gus, we have a motion to close the hearing. I move that we close the hearing. All right. Pete second. second. All right, Pete. Yes. Gus. Yes. And I also vote yes. All right. The hearing is closed. Thank you all for your presentation. Appreciate it. And I think approval of this will be on a, a future agenda. All right. Thanks, Thank Patrick. you very much. Thanks, Bob. All right, uh, next up, Rob Gregg uh, from the Vine Lake Preservation Trust uh, to provide an update about the trust and the dissolution of the trust. I can see Rob, but we can't hear him. Rob, are you there? No, I am. Okay. I've always been here. 50 years. Uh, beyond that. Um, so let me go back to where I started. Um, Wearing the hat of Vine Lake Preservation Trust tonight. I want to give you some background uh, briefly, and then I have a request uh, to the Board of Selectmen to make. Um, uh, historically, the uh, Vine Lake Preservation Trust was formed in May of 2009 as a nonprofit organization. Uh, since that point in time, it's been governed by six directors who are Medfield residents, and I have served uh, for the duration as the president. Uh, that nonprofit, Vinelink Preservation Trust, had four initiatives. Uh, one was preservation, which was um, probably the most well-known uh, initiative of ours, which was to address uh, the preservation work of uh, many of the memorials in the old section of the cemetery. Uh, another initiative was enhancement, um, where we uh, organized three Arbor Days of uh, service and we also improved the Hillside Garden on Main Street. Uh, for interpretation, uh, we conducted numerous uh, walking tours of the old section. And for celebration, uh, we funded uh, the uh, production of a free and um, popular app that uh, folks can use to search for their um, historical buried persons only in the new section, in the old section of the cemetery, excuse me. Um, so the preservation of the memorials in the old section occurred uh, since uh, 2009. Uh, we have uh, done uh, numerous preservations of slate and marble memorials. Um, and because we have worked so well and so thoroughly, uh, that number of opportunities have dwindled 
now over 12 years because we have done so much work. Uh, we've also um, had a, a loss of some of the volunteers uh, through age, uh, through moving out of town. And so um, you put those two things together, um, loss of volunteers and dwindling numbers of um, uh, preservation possibilities. And um, uh, that is one of the situations that we dealt with. Our um, interpretation initiative has been affected by COVID. Uh, so we have not conducted anywhere near the number of uh, uh, walking tours in, in the old section that we'd like to or have done in the past. So in September of 2021, the directors met uh, to deal with the issue of succession. Um, that was um, uh, sponsored uh, primarily by uh, uh, my retirement as the president of the trust and uh, the directors discussed the opportunities of moving forward and how best that could be done. And faced with none, uh, they voted uh, unanimously to start the process of dissolution of the trust. Um, now, because we live in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, the Attorney General's office uh, produces uh, requirements uh, that we must meet. Uh, and one of the obligations that we are uh, forced to consider is the distribution of our assets to a like nonprofit organization, hopefully in the same town, but does the same kind of work that we do. And so um, I come to you tonight with the request uh, from the directors of the trust that uh, the town establish a cemetery preservation trust fund for the preservation of memorials only in the old section and to be governed by the director of the Department of Public Works. So at some point in time, uh, before we are dissolved, uh, we will um, issue a um, check uh, to the town, if you so approve, that will be deposited in the Cemetery Preservation Trust Fund. And this will allow uh, ongoing work for the preservation of memorials in the whole section, um, which is something that we have dedica dedicated ourselves to, something that will be required over uh, upcoming decades in Medfield. So that is our request uh, for the establishment of the Cemetery Preservation Trust Fund. So that's the background, that's the request. Hey Rob, thank you very much. Pete, uh, questions, comments? Rob, what sort of a, a, a amount are we talking about that's being transferred? I figured you'd ask that, Pete. Uh, the, uh, we are talking about a uh, asset distribution of around $25,000. Oh, wow, great. Um, thank you for all you've done for the uh, Vine Lake Preservation Trust. I've enjoyed the emails for the uh, time that you've been doing it. Uh, I never thought I'd get so entertained by emails about a cemetery, but I did. Thank you That's very it much. for me. Thank you. Gus? A couple of questions, Rob. They, um, in thinking about the role that the trust, the preservation trust has played, uh, one piece of it is the the preservation of the of the the you know the, the stones and things like that. The other part is that interpretive 
role, sounds like the interpretive role because of COVID has been cut short. Looking, you know, medium to long range, is it, did I hear you basically suggest that probably the, the, the physical preservation at the cemetery, the demand for that or the need for that, at least for some, I'm, I'm guessing medium to, let's say medium range period of time is probably not that great because you guys have done a good job up to this point so that the, the need is not as great as it once was. Is that fair? Yeah, it's a fair assessment, Gus. Um, the fact that the, the stones are, um, of slate and marble construction. Uh, um, slate stones break very easily. Um, visitors can break them. Um, they can be broken in the process of lawnmowers going through the cemetery. Um, uh, the marble stones are being uh, degraded by um, acid rain. Um, and many of the stones that we cleaned over the years uh, require cleaning again. So it, 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 predominantly it's the uh, preservation requirements. We try to address the, the, the limitation of breakage by having all those Arbor Days of Service. And it has been uh, very definitely an improvement uh, to have that done so that the falling trees and limbs don't break the stones. but. Uh, the fact that uh, these stones are outdoors all the time and um, they're old, 360 years old, um, they're going to break over time. So we wanted to set up a situation where the, the town could use the funding, which was given by very generous donors over all this time, predominantly for the preservation of, of memorials. And so going forward, uh, this would be a, a a very constructive way for um, the efforts of all the people that have helped us over the years to uh, continue to preserve the memorials. The other piece that I think I heard you talk about is what I guess I'd call the interpretive uh, mission that you all have had. Uh, you know, Pete's point, I also enjoy the emails that have come out, uh, the, the walking tours and things like that. I understand with COVID, those have been you know, discontinued or at least reduced with the dissolution of this preservation trust. Uh, it sounds like that part of what the preservation trust has done on behalf of the cemetery and the town, that probably is just gonna go away. Is that fair, correct, accurate? Um, it, it depends on leadership. If people, uh, want to come forward and uh, work on projects that result in um, walking tour, that's fine. Um, one of the nice things that's happened, uh, because our, um, our website has uh, been extensive in terms of uh, historical uh, and cultural information, is that uh, a major part of our uh, website has been um, subsumed into the Medfield Historical Society website. So all the research that we did over the years um, will not go into the black hole of nothingness, but will uh, be there uh, as part of the Historical Society's website uh, that's being worked on at the moment. And that should probably be available to the public in the very near future. Okay, that, that leads to my last question then, which was, 
you're proposing here that this would come under the direction of the DPW, which the, the folks that maintain the cemetery have done, in, in my experience, I think since I first moved here, have done a stellar job. So that's there's not a problem with that. But I, in my head, I was saying, is it DPW? Is it the Historical Commission? Should we look at the uh, committee to study memorials that we have that I think probably doesn't get called upon to do a whole lot? And I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to talk down any of the options. I'm just in my head trying to think through. Is the DPW if a DPW is a logical place? Then I assume the part that we're really focused on preserving is the actual physical maintenance of the of the cemetery. If the historical commission, for example, was the logical place, I would say, no, the biggest thing we're trying to preserve is the is the education, interpretation, historic research side. Uh, and, and with the Committee of Study Memorials, if anything, that would probably be to maybe make their role a broader role. Uh, my, my question, I guess, is I'm trying to think through, is DPW the, the best choice given the most important part of what the Preservation Trust does? Is DPW the best choice moving forward from here to make sure that the most important parts of this get carried forward by someone? Uh, the directors of the trust uh, agree that um, the Department of Public Works is the best simply because they have the feet on the street, so to speak. They're the ones that walk through the cemetery. They they drive through it daily. They know what's going on. Um, we've, we've included them in our work over the years. And so uh, for a group that doesn't need a lot of ramp up education and uh, feels very comfortable about making decisions about uh, preservation and repair, uh, we feel that DPW is the best choice. Okay. Then my last question is, if that's the case, I'm, I'm trying to visualize a trust fund that, that or a trust that gets funded with the dissolution of this. Uh, in a way, it sounds like then this would become something like a revolving fund inside DPW dedicated to preservation of the cemetery. I'm just trying to think through the mechanics here. I think uh, Christine might answer that yeah. better than I can. Um, no, it would actually be a trust fund that's managed by our treasurer, Georgia Calivas. Uh, obviously, it will uh, earn interest income, and we will have rules of what can actually be spent from that trust fund uh, by whom, under the direction of the DPW director, and make sure that it is limited to uh, what the um, intent is for the Vine Lake Preservation Trust. So, the, okay, I have one more question then. I, sure. You know, the, the question I'm really looking for is the answer to who will the steward of this be? Uh, I'm, thinking of, I'm thinking of stewardship in the sense that the Vine Lake Preservation Trust has provided stewardship to the cemetery. With this, I can see the financial transaction, I can see the transfer of responsibilities, and I find myself wondering who is the true steward of this? I would suggest it would probably be the DPW because I said they, they have the feet on the street in the cemetery. Uh, they're, they're constantly over there. They're seeing what's going on. They, they recognize when stones are down, they need to be um, uh, repaired. Um, that's their purview. Um, uh, 
they do that at the moment in the new section, although the, the preservation of stones over there is altogether different because they're different kinds of stones altogether. Um, but uh, they're the ones that manage the daily operation of the cemetery. And my feeling is that uh, they have the best set of eyes and ultimately the best set of judgment about what to do. And I think, I guess, to, to take one step further from Rob, is it's also my office. Rob and I have met several times over this summer uh, to talk about this. And I was very excited that he considered the town for this. Um, I was involved back in 2009 when we went on uh, many field trips of other cemeteries, hoping that, you know, we could move this forward. So I, I think it's definitely my office as, as well. Okay. okay. Thanks. That's all I have. Like. Uh, thank you, Gus. And Rob, let me reiterate what Justin Pete said. My thanks to you and the trust. You really do an awesome Oh, you're job. very welcome. Um, and I will read one comment from um, Bill Massaro, who said he wanted to express his thanks for an appreciation of what the trust and you accomplished. And he also notes that he'll miss the newsletter. So um, a lot of people will miss the newsletter. So thank you for that. I think Gus covered most of the, the technical questions that I would have on this one so i think this all sounds like a like a good idea is do you have a sense of the timing like when this would happen when you're hoping to, to wrap this up i know there is some some of that's out of your control to get the blessing of the attorney general's office and all that but um do you have some sense of timing i would imagine uh, within the next couple of weeks um uh we could uh, come knocking on the door with check in hand um uh, the dissolution by the attorney general, you can go about it two ways. And we're choosing the way that uh, we distribute our funds before we dissolve. Mm -hmm. um, so um, as soon as uh, we realize we don't have any more bills to pay, um, uh, we will uh, get our act together and um, have a check cut and delivered to the town of Medfield. And will this will this require a town meeting vote to create the trust fund, or can we do that ourselves? No, I believe you can accept the accept the gift. Yeah. Great. All right, terrific. All right, I don't see any other comments, questions, or praise from the public. Although I'm sure everybody is uh, grateful for what you've done, Rob. And I know you're going to remain busy on many of your other ventures in town. So, thank you very much. Any any final comments, or would you like to move on to your next meeting? Well, if uh, folks have been so very generous with the compliments about the newsletter. The only thing I, I would suggest that if you're not yet on the newsletter email list for the Picos Heritage Center, which sends out a free monthly newsletter, uh, <laughs> you can uh, you can then, uh, fill up your time with that. So, um, but I, um, it's been a pleasure for us to uh, work cooperatively with the town of Medfield over um, these last 12 years. Uh, it's a very unique situation where a, um, a, a private nonprofit charitable organization deals with a public entity. Uh, we've had tremendous cooperation uh, from the maintenance workers and Bobby Kennedy over the years. And um, so a lot of our success uh, has been dependent on that hand in hand uh, cooperation that we've had. And we, we uh, we appreciate it. We want to recognize it. Thanks, Rob. I think we can agree that the DPW does a great job uh, taking care of the cemetery as well. So thanks, Rob, very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm sure, I'm sure you'll be in touch and we'll look, look forward to getting the check. I'm sure you will. <laughs>
right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Um, our next appointment, uh, David Cashman from SCB Housing to request the Board of Selectmen to approve a 5% rental increase for current tenants and property-specific maximum rents for the vacant units. This relates to the Medfield Meadows, the rental portion of Medfield Meadows. That's correct, Christine? That is correct. Uh, and David had reached out to us, uh, actually specifically had reached out to Sarah to discuss a new uh, advisory or guideline from DHCD that was, uh, I believe it was issued back in November, and David was looking for an increase in rental uh, amounts. Since this is new and it was under a new thing, I asked David if he could come and explain it to you uh, since he's seeking your approval for a rental increase there. Sure. Good evening, board members. David Cashman from SEB Housing. Um, typically with affordable units in Massachusetts, every year in April, HUD publishes new area median incomes. And shortly after they do so, we recalculate the rents for all the properties that we work with, which is uh, quite a few. And we submit those to the various towns where the properties are located. Um, and the town and state have to approve uh, the new rents as calculated, which is usually pretty much just formulaic to make sure that we've uh, calculated the rents accurately uh, and typically approvals follow shortly thereafter. Since the start of the pandemic uh, in uh, spring of 2020, um, approvals of rents for properties all across the state with affordable units have been on hold. So many properties, most properties are still using rents from uh, April of 2019. Uh, but finally in November of this year, uh, the state DHCD, uh, put out a new guidance saying that they would finally begin to uh, approve new rents again and other program administrators uh, of affordable housing uh, followed suit, including notably mass housing. And the basic gist of the guidance was that they still want to be very respectful of uh, tenants who are in affordable units and try to make sure that their rents are not increased too much. And to that end, they've limited any rent increases to 5% for current tenants from what they're currently, uh, what the current maximum affordable rent is, which again, is usually from 2019. At the same time, they've said uh, to the property that if the property wants to sign an owner agreement, uh, and in this case, uh, the owners of Medfield Meadows did sign that agreement, agreeing to do and not do certain things, which I think can mostly be encapsulated by sort of working with current tenants who might be in uh, struggling financially or might have rent arrearages to find other solutions and not sort of forcing people out. That if an owner signed that agreement and agreed to sort of work with tenants, that uh, in addition to approving a 5% increase on rents for current tenants, they would consider approving uh, maximum rents as calculated from the 2021 numbers for vacant units. Uh, and so we've been sending out uh, dozens and dozens of these requests on behalf of the properties we work with, uh, and Medfield Meadows is one of those, and I submitted it to Ms. Raposa, uh, and she asked, I think, that I'd be here to respond to any questions. And I guess before I stop, I would say that at the, at the last moment we were uh, asked to stay on board uh, at another property in Medfield, which is Hillside Village. Um, at the sort of 11th hour on Friday, I asked Sarah if that one could also be considered um, at tonight's meeting. I don't know that that ever made it on the agenda. I know it's the 11th hour, but um, perhaps if it didn't make it on, uh, sort of whatever procedure is discussed or agreed upon tonight could, could uh, streamline a review for that one. Thank you. 
David, just update. It did come in too late. The agenda had already been posted. So okay. uh, we can talk about that. I have a question. I don't know if this is for Mark or Christine to begin um, before we get into a substantive discussion of this. What is the standard, Mark, that we're supposed to apply here? What degree of discretion do we have to accept or reject the requests? And is there any legal guidance on, on what we're able to do in this circumstance? Not, not that I've been able to determine. It's, it seems to be pretty much a ministerial act. Uh, I did... Uh, I didn't find anything in print. I did review uh, some exchanges with the ACD and all they did was confirm that uh, Mr. Cashman's calculations were correct. Uh, I did reach out to several individuals in uh, responsible for affordable housing, rental units and other communities, including Franklin, who was informed that they've never gotten involved with this before. They just let the ACD do it. You know why we're being asked to do it then if, if DHCD typically does this? Perhaps, uh, uh, if I may, oh, I, sorry. I, I got the impression it was, it was just a formality to the community, uh, to the town at large and whoever was handling affordable housing or rentals would, would give the approval as opposed to it ending up on the Board of Selectmen's agenda but there were enough questions that we had in-house and we couldn't get the answers that it was felt that the best way to proceed was to put it before you folks. I guess my question is, are we allowed to say no? Or if we say no, is the DHCD just gonna overrule us like they do on, on 40, certain 40V projects? That's my impression. Yeah. The latter. Right. I would agree. I think that's why, as David mentioned earlier, most of these calculations are just reviewed um, by either your affordable housing planner or your town planner, uh, and then moves forward just as a calculation to make sure that they have done it appropriately. Um, but I believe that's why we have not seen these come before us. So I'll hear from Pete Gus because I will say I, I'm not inclined to support this. Um, you know, if you look at the prices for which the 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 sale units there, what they're listed for, what they're going for, I mean, is much higher than what was anticipated when we approved this LIP. Um, it seems like this is something that would fall the most on the people who'd have the hardest time paying it. Um, and I know they have given this little carrot of if you work with people on an individual basis, but you know, I I would my my view is I, I want to say no to this. And if they can appeal and force the the state agency that that says it's there to promote affordable housing to approve the, the rental increase, that's fine. But I don't see why we would, given our local circumstances here and, and the circumstances the tenants would find them in. And the fact that I think that that development seems to be doing exceptionally well and probably better than was anticipated. Right? We approved this in 2018, right? And, and I, I think if you look at the list prices of a lot of the for sale units, they're really high. So I, I would be inclined to vote no. And if the state wants to overrule us, that's fine. But Pete and Gus, I'll hear from you on, on this. Well, I would start by saying that I know uh, nothing about this, and I'd be very curious to find out how other towns deal with it and, and what they do with it, uh, whether it is just a ministerial thing by the town planner uh, or, or whether there really is some discretion that's exercised. Um, so I guess I would want more information of that sort before taking any action one way or the other. So my inclination at the moment would be to, to not uh, approve an increase. I agree with you, Mike, that uh, 
these are the people that can least afford an, an increase and a 5% increase for those people can be very difficult. Um, so I guess at this point, I'm, I'm not ready to say yes. Well, so, so this is one of those rare times when you're gonna get three different answers from three different selectmen, it looks like to me. Um, Usually we get uh, at least four total. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Uh, given what I've read coming in from uh, Rika Hayashi, and again, not Mike or uh, Pete. I'm undoubtedly no more knowledgeable of this than you are, and probably less knowledgeable. But from the materials that were presented to us, and the circumstances that we've gone through a couple of years of COVID precautions, where things have been locked and frozen. Um, and uh, David, you may not realize that I recall this, but I think the last time you came before us, you came by to uh, get some relief on some calculations that could have been done in a more beneficial way for the developer. We shot you down on that one. So I'm mindful the last time you came to us, we actually said no, because we were, um, I, I think we were watching out for the people that were looking for the affordable housing. Um, my perception of the Medfield Meadows project and, and the developer, and it's not a close perception, but I've gotten peripherally involved, is that it's we have a responsible developer. It is a nice development. Uh, and it's not, I wouldn't be able to say, oh, these are the nice units that are the market units and these are the ones that are not. Uh, I know that we still have a few issues that are that are going on on the backside of the property that still have to be finished up. But my, my main point was, I think the town has an interest in also, it's easy to say no, because it's affordable housing. We wanna make sure housing is as cheap as possible. Uh, I think it's also important to recognize responsible developers and make it feasible for them to, to have a successful project. Uh, so in my case, in this instance, given that it sounds like this is all being done within the parameters of what the state has determined is acceptable, given that you've had a two-year freeze, uh, and given that my perception of our experience with this developer has been fundamentally positive after what was potentially a pretty contentious situation when I first became aware of this, I would be inclined to say yes. Okay, well, it sounds like we need to get some answers to some questions, um, and we can get those. We can put this over to next week uh, to get those answers. David, I don't think you have to come back um, for that purpose. We can we can get whatever information we need and then um, uh, do what we need to do. And Gus, I, I, I agree with you that they, they so far have been generally responsible um, as they're completing the, the project, and, and overall, uh, it's been a... a uh, positive experience. I would say that my view on on voting yes or no doesn't really is not really a judgment about them as to being great developers or not. It's more uh, given where we stand now because obviously, well, you had two years of a freeze. You've also had two years of um, very substantial uh, house price appreciation um, on the ownership units, and obviously, it's a, we approved kind of as a compromise, right? I mean, I think the preference on the town side was to do that development as we work through that LIP process, um, we kind of compromise with the developer on the 24 and 12. Um, and I think 
um, given that market, the change in the market on the ownership side and certainly have benefited from that change in balance to it probably makes it a more profitable development than it would be as a pure rental and less advantageous to the town totally, but I think it was a reasonable compromise. So it's no negative judgment on the developers or anybody else, um, but for the reasons I stated, I would be a no, but let's find out what the what, what our level of discretion is, what the rules are that we are have to follow. And as I said, David, you won't have to come back. Um, we'll figure all hey, that out and decide. Hey Mike, just as a matter of record, um, and Christine, maybe you could clarify it or maybe we have to go to Sarah. I thought the compromise on the 12 market units was actually a concession to the neighborhood yes. that wanted, wanted for sale units. So it may be that it worked out very fortuitously for the developer, but I actually think those 12 units were, uh, and I don't know if concession's the right word, especially the way it's maybe worked out, but it was a, it was a, it was an, uh, a concession by the developer to put for sale units in as the buffer to the the, the neighborhood where people live. So yeah, I think neighbors, that's right. The guys. neighbors that requested was, it. Yeah, yeah, no, that was definitely a part of it as well. But I had thought there was, and I could be misremembering that. I thought the developer was in favor of the the ownership as well. Because I know from the town perspective, from the the safe harbor and everything else, the rental was more advantageous. So I think you're definitely right that the neighbors had that preference as well. So yeah. I mean, maybe that was the the dominant concern, but I, I had thought that because there, I had thought that the developer wanted some ownership as well. But if I misspoke about that, I'm sorry about that. And uh, in any event, it has worked out. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it has worked out uh, on that front. Um, and I've, I think it's been good for the town too. I mean, it's a good development. It looks pretty good there. Um, and again, it would, you know, it wouldn't be a permanent no. It would be this time around from my perspective. Let's find out what the rules are and see what discretion we have and all of that. But yeah, thank you guys for that that clarification as well. That, that is correct. It was the neighbors. Before David leaves, can I just ask him uh, what his experience is in other towns, how other towns handle this? Since you're probably way more experienced with this than any of us. Yeah, sure. That's a fair question. Uh, to be totally honest, I think most towns just say, you know, if the numbers look right and DHCD is okay with it, then we are too. There are a few towns that will say, well, that feels a little high. You know, we'd like to try and limit it to something less than that. Um, Watertown comes to mind. Sometimes the rents go up by X and they'll say, that feels like a lot. Let's limit it to 5%. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a town on its own say, we just don't want to approve any rent increases. You know, it just doesn't feel right. It feels exorbitant. It feels like uh, it's going to be hard for tenants uh, to say that independent of kind of uh, DHCDs being willing to approve it. Um, so that's that's sort of my experience. I think in most cases, towns just approve, but there are some exceptions. And, and do you agree that if uh, uh, the if Mr. Kelly doesn't like what we decide that he can go around us to DHCD and, and ask them to do the increase? Well, to be totally honest, if you read the regulatory agreement, I think both is required. I think the town approval and DHCD approval is required. So uh, I think if the town reading the regulatory agreement said, we are not gonna go along with this, uh, I don't know that the developer could appeal directly to DHCD to have them overrule the town's position. Now, then that could pose further questions about what's sort of contemplated in the regulatory agreement. Is the town even sort of supposed to be given this discretion or is the town sort of uh, going beyond what's contemplated in the regulatory agreement? And to be totally frank on that front, 
I'm not sure it's that clear. I think most developers want to go along and get along. They're not looking for a fight. Uh, but, you know, if pressed hard enough and feeling like years are going by and nothing's moving, you know, especially in light of DHCD finally approving rents again, you know, they might say, hey, this isn't what was sort of agreed upon or contemplated and uh, perhaps would want to challenge it. Um, that's my view. Thanks very much, David. That's very helpful. Please yeah. do relate to Mr. Kelly that I, I I found him to be a very good developer too. I will. Uh, thank you for everyone's time tonight. I, I guess I'll wait for a response and then I can follow up with Ms. Raposa on Hillside Village, which is the other property that didn't uh, make it onto the uh, agenda tonight. Right. Yeah, and you won't have to come back for that one either. I think if you, you know, if you submit whatever you have in writing on Hillside Village, we'll take them both up together. Obviously, we would love to have you, but um, if you have something better to do with your time, but <laughs> you're welcome uh, to, to skip it, and we won't hold it against you for not coming back. Uh, uh, I appreciate right, you being I, here tonight. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Everyone, for your time. <laughs> Thank Thanks, you. David. Okay. Good night. All right. Uh, now, everyone, get out your green eye shades as we move on to. Uh, the budget outlook, revenue projections, and the free cash and financial policy certification. So uh, next item three is the fiscal year 2023 budget outlook and revenue projections. Yes. So actually, Nick's going to start sharing a presentation we have for you this evening. Great. That comes up. Okay. Um, I just wanted to, before I begin, I wanted to let you know um, and our residents that our town accountant, Joy Ricciuto, will be retiring at the end of this fiscal year. Joy has been the town accountant in Medfield since 2000, and I'm not so sure she is, but we are looking forward to working with her on one more town budget, even if it is still during COVID. So we wish her all the luck in her retirement, but we're excited to get one more budget with her. So the purpose of our presentation tonight is to discuss both the projections for our revenues and our expenditures as we officially begin and kick off the fiscal year 2023 budget process with the Warrant Committee. Next slide. So let me begin by giving you an overview of the big picture for fiscal year 2023 and some of the assumptions that we're making in our revenue projections. As we're formulating this budget, we are taking into consideration that we rely heavily on our residential property taxes for revenue. We have limited growth in state aid, and at this time, no new sources of revenue for fiscal year 2023. In terms of our expenditures, we're facing increasing fixed costs, both in health insurance, retirement, and our property and liability insurance. We are very lucky this year that we have a strong free cash balance that's just been certified this past week. And we have federal stimulus funding or ARPA available for both fiscal year 2023 and fiscal year 2024. Okay. And as I look at revenue, the revenue outlook, it's actually, Nick, if you can go to slide four, I think it helps to look at our revenue sources in a more visual format as I discuss the outlook. So in determining the revenue outlook, we've made the following assumptions. Per Proposition 2.5, we have calculated a 2.5% budget increase from the tax levy. That's the large blue Pac-Man shaped uh, in our chart there. Uh, as we discussed with the Board of Assessors back in December when we were setting the property tax rate, um, we discussed that that is the largest source of revenue for the town. In this projection, we, are, we have state aid as level funded. We anticipate the governor to release his budget shortly 
He usually provides insight to cities and towns just around the Mass Municipal Association annual meeting, which takes place this Friday um, virtual. Once we have the governor's budget, we'll then start to refine and update this state aid projection. Our local receipts that you see there in orange are currently estimated as an increase over our fiscal year 2022 projections. And the financial team continues to review and revise those estimates as more information is becoming available to us. Taking these projected revenue sources into consideration, we estimate the total available new revenue for the general fund budgets for both schools and towns to be approximately $1.6 million. Next slide. Just wanted to take a moment. I know we talk a lot about state aid, but I wanted to point out back in 2011, and I know we've reviewed this before, but I think it's always helpful. We lost six and a half percent in state aid. And then if you look at 2021, we are essentially level funded. The state aid to revenue, uh, state aid revenue in Medfield is not growing at the same rate as our town and school expenses. And we appear to still be digging out of the hole back from 2011. Next slide. Okay, local receipts. I've mentioned local receipts a couple of times tonight. And I just wanna take a minute to talk about this a bit more in depth. This is the area in the budget where we have more of a say in how we estimate uh, local receipts. Obviously state aid and other numbers are given to us. Um, this is where we have a little more control in how we're estimating this. We continue to be conservative in estimating this revenue. If we overestimate our revenues, that could require us to make mid-year budget cuts while underestimating our revenues could cause us to make re reductions in services that may be uh, no longer necessary. So the local receipts that you'll see are made up of the following, motor vehicle excise tax, our local options meals tax, licenses and permits, which includes the building department, alcohol licenses, dog licenses. We have other receipts, this is uh, holds on to our small, it's a smaller account that includes our investment income and our betterments. And believe it or not, our betterment revenue is dropping off, which is frightening to me because when I originally did those calculations 20 years ago, it seemed way too far in the future and now it's here. And then we also have other departmental, departmental revenue and that includes transfer station stickers, ambulance revenue that doesn't go into the revolving fund, our solar credits for the public safety building and any lien certificates that are issued. Uh, our rental income, which you see is small, represents the leases uh, of townland, cell, uh, cell towers, post office, and the Kingsbury Club. Uh, we are continuing to revise these estimates. I'm sure the financial team is tired of hearing me talk about them. We're pretty much looking at them on a, on a daily basis. Next slide. I really wanted to take an opportunity to show you the revenue that we generate from our local options meals tax. You can see the major drop we had from March 20 to June 20. Obviously, that was at the start of the pandemic. After that, we continue uh, to increase and we're headed into uh, fiscal year 23 with one of our best years ever. I really want to commend our restaurants for pivoting to different takeout options, uh, providing additional outdoor seating, being super creative. And I wanna say thank you to our residents for thinking local and supporting our local Medfield residents. Thank you. And then if we can pivot and switch gears to look at what our expenditures for fiscal year 2023 look like. As I mentioned earlier, we are experiencing an increase in some of our fixed costs and that includes health insurance, pension, liability insurance, and OPEB. And health insurance I wanna talk about specifically. Um, if you'll remember last year, our insurance company provided the town and our employees 
what they were calling a one month premium holiday. That allowed us on the town side to reduce our health insurance budget by $350,000. Our budget for fiscal year 23 will now include that $350,000 and any additional increase over that amount. So when we present the town budget uh, side next week, um, we'll point that out again, but I want you to know that we're starting uh, from a negative on our health insurance based on that 350,000. Um, we anticipate having our final insurance uh, information towards the end of this week as well. They seem to time that both up with the uh, annual meeting. Next slide. So Nick and I started meeting with our department heads um, earlier this fall, and our guidance as they were preparing their budgets were to maintain level service budgets. However, one of the goals we had in working with the department heads was to restore several positions that were eliminated in the fiscal year 2021 budget when we faced a reduction in revenues during that first year of the pandemic. And these include two part-time and one full-time position. You'll see next week when we present the town department budgets that we are seeking two new positions, uh, both a full-time position in DPW and a one part-time position in the town clerk's office. We don't take the introduction of new employees lightly. And we believe based on the increased level of service that the departments are being required to complete, these additions are necessary. I think it also helps us in terms of our succession planning. We've talked a lot about it, particularly in DPW, but we haven't actually put anybody in place to make that happen. And as a reminder, as we go into Town Department Outlook, we are currently negotiating both the police and fire collective bargaining agreements, and they expire on June 30th of 2022. And I also wanted to provide you tonight with an update on the capital budget. As you know, town meeting last year created the Capital Stabilization Fund. And this fund can only be used to fund capital projects, debt service related to those projects, equipment, vehicles, public works improvements, and essentially any non-building projects. The committee began meeting over the summer per our financial policies. However, we had to put a hold on our final recommendations. And that was due to clarification on our federal stimulus funds uh, and our ARPA. We anticipate between free cash and our federal funds that will allow us to fully fund the fiscal year 23 and 24 capital budgets. As I've been talking about over the last few months, there was some issues coming through our ARPA money coming through the Norfolk County. And we have been waiting for the treasury in Norfolk County to issue some, issue some final guidance on that. I actually have a Norfolk County manager's meeting tomorrow and hopefully we'll have the final guidance on that and be able to move forward with the capital budget next week. So our next steps will be in next Tuesday to provide the department town budgets to you. The Warren committee will be presented with them on January 26th. The school committee is holding their budget hearing on January 27th, and we anticipate a full budget presented to the Board of Selectmen Warrant Committee in February. At the same time, we are collaborating with the UMass Boston Collins Center on the new budget document, which after our meeting last week, we anticipate we should be able to put into place uh, for the fiscal year 2023 budget. Any questions on our budget projections or outlook? Chris, were you saying that uh, we're gonna use all of the ARPA money for the uh, uh, capital and, and this year? No, we anticipate being able to fund the capital stabilization fund, the request for the next two years with the 23 and through 23 and 24, but that will not use up the entire amount of ARPA. Once we get the final, uh, I have a final discussion with Norfolk County, hopefully tomorrow, we'll be able to provide you with an updated ARPA spending plan as you had requested. 
Uh, Christine, one question. I think it was slide nine was the one we had staffing. There was, I just want to be sure I understood what you'd said. There were, there was a one, there was one and a half unfilled positions from 2019. And then below that, there was a full-time and a half-time position, DPW and clerk's office. So is the one and a half that was not filled, that's in addition to the one and a half that you're at. It's, it's true staff growth as opposed to what what were the one, I just don't remember what the full time that we didn't fill, because I was thinking that was DPW, but. Uh, there was a full-time in DPW that uh, we did not fund in the budget as well as part-time in accounting and a part-time at the library. So with, with the restoration of those positions and the one and a half new hires, DPW pick up two full-time people? Correct. Okay. Okay. Yep. Christine, one of those positions in DPW is the the assistant director's position that has been in a lot of preliminary budgets for the last five or six years, <laughs> only to to not quite make it past February. It's that one that we've been. That is correct. Yes, yeah. um, and I think we it, it's would be beneficial for us to begin to fund that project. We talk a lot about, as I said, about succession planning, but then we're not actually putting pieces into place um, in order to make that happen. And we're also asking our TPW and Maurice Goulet, our director, to take on more and more projects, um, which is why we want to restore the original highway position that was cut. They're now going to be responsible for the maintenance of the rail trail. So at some point, we can't keep adding projects onto the DPW without giving them uh, the ability and the staff to, to complete those. Just just as an anecdotal aside, this uh, I think it was yesterday, my wife uh, was out. She came back to the house. She came up to see me and said, what does Mo Goulet look like? And so I described him. And she said, because I was driving down, I think it was Route 27 and one of the intersections, 109 or something. And apparently somebody had dropped a load of gravel just on the street as maybe not maybe they didn't know but there was a pile of gravel that just been dumped in the street she said because there was this guy with a dpw jacket on and there was a cop there was talking to him he's kind of you could tell from his gestures it's like who did this she said but he's sweeping off the street uh and we i don't know for sure it was mo but in my description of mo and her description of this guy we appear to have a dpw directors out sweeping highways for us so uh that, that, that would not surprise me mo has also been plowing snow during uh the few storms we've had so we definitely have a very hands-on we're very lucky we have a very hands-on dpw director and i think at if least, we are at least all the at least all that sweeping made a positive impression on at least one citizen here in Bedford. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if we are able to make this happen, it would definitely free up Mo to do a little more longer term planning and work on some of our, because we do have a number of, you know, not necessarily massive individual projects, but we have a number of, of projects coming down the, the pike over the next few years that would benefit from having somebody like Mo, Mo being able to focus on those a little bit if there was somebody to handle a lot more of the the day-to-day -day allocation. Because that, that we say it all the time, but it's true. The RDPW does so many different things. And I think it would be nearly impossible to write a job description for any one of them um, that fully captured everything that they do. 
I mean, because they we were talking about the cemetery earlier today, but the same individuals work in so many different areas. And then even in like with the rail trail, and these are the things that happen in town that are, are, are somewhat one offs and they're able to step in and, and make a big contribution and save money for the town and, and frankly enable some things to happen that wouldn't otherwise happen. So I think if we can maybe we, they've been on the chopping block for this position for a while. Um, and they've also, as we've noted as well, they've, they've done an extraordinary job in throughout the pandemic, having to adjust to all sorts of different circumstances, all sorts of different schedules, you know, for the safety of, of all of their members and everything else. And they've really done it without, without much complaint or difficulty and all the rest of it. So um, th this would be a good thing to do if we can. We obviously, there's a reason it hasn't made it in for a number of years, but we will see what we can do because I think we'd, we'd get a, a benefit to the town you know, in excess of what the cost is um, from this sort of position. Um, so the, the question I had on, Chris, I had a couple of questions, Gus, if you're done. Uh, um, yep. So with the, the increases in the health insurance anticipated for this year, I mean, is this going to be, is this in line with just the, the steady increases that we've seen uh, over the course of the past, you know, decade or so, or, or do you anticipate a, a larger jump than that? No, they gave us, we met with uh, Carrie from Maya probably about two months ago, and they gave us a range, which I think will fall, you know, obviously couldn't give us a final number, but would fall into what we've seen uh, pre-pandemic on our increases. So. Mm -hmm. And then with the, the Norfolk County pension, how many more years left do we have with our additional assessment? I don't know if I have that information off the top of my head. I will get back. Okay. To get yeah, because I know we, we, cause I, I, my recollection was that that additional 10% was a five-year, originally a five-year assessment. I'm assuming that the fund has performed well over the last several years, although I don't know when the last time we got an update on that was. But um, it would be helpful to know where we stand um, on that front and, and whether that that additional assessment will actually sunset according to uh, the expected schedule or if it, if they anticipate extending it. Because um, obviously, as we talk about a lot with any of these hires, we always have to take into account those additional future costs. And, and we're, we're trying to get there to, to fully reflect the actual cost of hiring um, over the long term, as we're dealing with a lot of these expenses that have been, you know, pushed on to us over the years that we're trying to figure out at this point. So that would be good to know just as we plan ahead with respect to the how many more years we have for that additional assessment and how the, the Norfolk County Pension Fund is looking for this year. Um, do you yet, or maybe this is a question for Gus as well. I mean, I, I think in our financial policy, we tweaked it a little bit this year for the OPEB contribution. Um, do you have a sense at this point, Christine, of what, what the expected recommendation will be or what the number will be for the total OPEP contribution and whether we can start to move a little bit more in a direction of using some additional amount of that free cash for OPEB um, as well? I mean, I think we did a great job last year and free, we're going to get the free cash in a minute, but did a great job last year in dis and increase, in continuing our discipline on the free cash so that we're moving it away from using it for operations and, and moving it to shore up kind of these various long-term deficits that we have. Um, but do you have a sense on that for OPEB? Because you did have OPEB in that slide as well. 
Um, we'll be providing all of that to you at the meeting next week. Okay, um, and I know Gus and I just spoke, uh, I think last Friday that he is overdue for an OPEB presentation to you as well. Uh, mm-hmm. so we can give you an update now that we have, uh, the new actuarial study in as well. Okay. And I, I, I apologize if it was on the slide. What are we estimating? Do you have a new growth estimate yet for next year? I believe, do you want to bring that up, Nick? I think he has it on his, um, we, the fiscal year 23 estimate, we're holding at 475, which was what we had $475,000, which was what we had plugged in for the fiscal 22 budget. Um, with the strong, um, building permit numbers coming in, we anticipate to be able to reach that number again in fiscal 23. And what did it end up actually being for 22? For 22 actual was, um, $518,000. That's pretty good. We were pretty close. That's good. All right. I I think those were my. Those were my question. Oh, the, the the building permit is the building permit estimate. Does that assume that that Aura's building permits will be in that number, or do we think those will come in before the end of this fiscal year? We've already had Aura come in. The majority of their uh, permits, I believe, came in already. Okay. Uh, so we would anticipate having additional revenue uh, in terms of uh, Hinkley South. Gotcha. Okay. Hey, Mike, on just a brief comment on the point about OPEB. And first off, I'm totally delinquent at not uh, pulling the committee together to give you and Pete an update on where we came out as of the 30th of June on the account that we have. But there was something you said there. I just want to make sure uh, either, either Nick, you need to correct me or I just wanted to make something clear. We're we're making an annual contribution to OPEB, and that's just simply to build up the, the balance that we have in our OPEB account. In addition to doing that, we've been paying the benefits themselves on a pay, still as a pay-as-you-go basis. So what's happened over the years that's interesting is that the calculation that was used to we, we've 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 done a number of things that have reduced our original projected liability down to a far greater degree than our contributions and the return on our contributions have earned. The, the target that we had has been dropping. In addition to us building up a balance, the actual target that we have to hit has been dropping down over the years, partially when we set the trust up and there's some mechanical things you do to change the calculation. But the other thing that each year has led to a drop in the the gap has been that the annual benefit that the OPEB calculation has calculated for what the the current year benefit payout should be. In the OPEB calculation, every single year to my knowledge since it was first, we first took it up, that calculation is always higher than what we actually pay out. And so what happens is when the actuaries do the next updated calculation, they, they actually give us credit for having retired that larger amount. Uh, and so we, we put money in that we actually spend, but then we actually get an incremental benefit that above and beyond what we've actually spent in terms of the reduction of the OPEB liability. So we have a couple things that have been working in our favor in this process consistently from year to year. We still got a ways to go. We do still have a ways to go, um, as do most um, municipalities other than Wellesley. <laughs> and, a few, and, a, and a few others who, who um, dealt with it in a, in a pretty good way. But I mean, I mean, it's obviously a much longer term issue. But I mean, what, what last year, Christine, how much did we spend 
just out of the straight budget on retiree health insurance premiums with eight hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, if we had a fully funded OPEB trust fund, that would be an eight hundred thousand dollar, either an eight hundred thousand dollar tax cut to the taxpayers, or it would be a um, eight hundred thousand dollars more in services that we could buy that we're currently paying um, because in the past these benefits were promised without being funded. And so if we were, were able to fund that fully, you know, that is money that would you know, those premiums would be paid out of the trust fund and not out of the ordinary tax levy. And you only have to make an annual trust fund contribution in respect of your estimated future <laughs> premiums for your current employees and retirees. So it's it turns into real money for taxpayers um, that we're paying um, you know, that should have been been set aside. You know, over the course of time, and that if we were to, able to fully fund it, that would be a significant, through whatever source, that would be a significant, uh, you know, preferably from my standpoint, ability to reduce taxes for taxpayers, um, because that's something that that can be funded by a, a trust fund. And we're, we're working, we're getting there, <laughs> working on it for a while. All right, thanks, Gus, and thanks for that clarification, Christine. I don't see any uh, questions in the Q&A. Anything else on this one before we move on to... Um, free cash and certification and the financial policy certification. Yep. Um, free cash. I'm just going to uh, let you know quickly. So we had our uh, Department of Revenue's Division of Local Services certified our free cash last week at 4.9 million. Um, we had a discussion when we uh both last year at town meeting and during the revisions of our financial policy that once we had that certified free cash, then the selectmen would walk through um, the financial policy test to ensure that we had met um, what we had stated we had done at town meeting. So Nick's gonna walk you through the financial policy certification uh, currently. So this is, our reserve fund and financial policy analysis sheet that we've looked at um, a few different times. I won't go over it too much um, in too great a detail, but I'll just note that this is our fiscal 22 column here. Um, As we talked about a few times, we just use our all funds expenditure number and then back out some other items that um, don't don't come out of our general fund expenses to get to what we're um, pushing, testing our reserves against in order to make sure we're in compliance with our financial policy. So, um, that is the top half of the sheet here and gets to about $65.5 million in general fund expenditures that we then compare to our reserves to see how things are lining up. Um, and just to run through what our reserves are against, again, um, our reimbursement from the MSBA fund is going away as that school debt rolls off. So this is the last year you'll see that as a reserve because next year, all that debt will that will all be paid off in fiscal 23 and um, the reserve will go away, but as will um, the debt service. We have our operating budget reserve fund balance like every year. Stabilization fund balance. This is our balance fund balance at, um, after all the appropriations are made at town meeting. So if you'll recall, we had moved $700,000 into that fund at town meeting to push those reserves and our general stabilization fund up. Um, so it's at a healthy $2.4 million. We had also created a capital stabilization fund, but did not use all the uh, monies that were in it. So there is a um, leftover balance of $21,000 available um, in fiscal 23 and years forward. Uh, lastly, our free cash number that Christine just mentioned, the 4.9 million. So we plug that into 
um, where we had been holding where the free cash was after we had made had moved and used free cash in the fiscal 22 budget, just to show where things stand now. But moving forward, we'll be looking really at the fiscal 23 column to make sure um, as we you know, propose potential uses of free cash that we stay in compliance um, with our financial policies. Um, so that gives us a total reserves as of today at around $8.3 million, which is um, just over 12.7% you know, of our general fund expenditures, which means we have met each of our financial policy tests that we shoot for. Um, we have met our 9% goal in reserves. We had met the 7.5% goal, um, a requirement that we have at least 7.5% in reserves. We had, um, we had met each of these at town meeting, but we're just reconfirming now that the free cash number is in. And lastly, of course, we have met the free cash policy, um, which is 2.5% of our general fund expenditures. So moving forward, as we work with um, you and the Warren Committee, we'll be keeping an eye on the fiscal 23 column to make sure as we um, you know, come up with uses of that free cash that we're keeping an eye on those, um, those balances to make sure we stay in compliance um, and try to meet that 9% goal that is in the financial policies, although the requirement is that we do not, that we do not fall below the 7.5% of um, total reserves. And then per the financial policy, uh, this will be uploaded to the town's website and will also be included as part of our warrant report. And I'll also mention that um, with the closer of the fiscal year, we did get some updated balances and some of our other um, reserve funds that we don't use in, in testing against our general fund. So water and sewer free cash down at the bottom, uh, the water and sewer board shoots for about a million dollars in each. Um, they've exceeded that on the water side and um, are at 937,000, excuse me, on the sewer side. The municipal building stabilization fund, as we've received those MSBA reimbursements back, we've directed those into the municipal building stabilization fund. And each year we haven't necessarily used that full amount. So that balance has grown to um, just over $860,000. And then upcoming at this year's town meeting, there is $171,000 available to be transferred um, from additional MSBA reimbursements back into that um, municipal building stabilization fund. So um, that's a couple of the other reserves that don't fall under that general fund category. I just wanted to keep you um, up to date on. Thank you, Nick. Uh, Pete? It's good to see that uh, we seem to be improving our financial picture. As, as uh, you were, we were pointing out before, we've basically been paying for the uh, uh, health insurance that should have been paid for by the town 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 40 years ago that wasn't part of the budgets in those days. So we're having a little extra difficulty um, that's about it. I have one question for Christine and Nick, and my guess is it's a question that might either be hard or impossible to answer. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the, you know, if you look at those charts and you look at the free cash that's left over after you've met the the standard, obviously we have bigger numbers right now and projected to go out from for a couple of years at least. Uh, the thing that I think doesn't show up on there is what I'm gonna call the COVID relief fund overhang in the sense that we've been able to absorb some of our, some of the costs that we've absorbed through the relief funding uh, 
fall in a gray zone between costs that we would never have faced if we hadn't had COVID and costs that qualify for relief funding support that we might have had to cover anyway. And I'm trying to get a sense of the, you know, the dollar value of that gray zone that says, well, when you look at these numbers, it looks like we have a good free cash balance. But when those relief funds are expended in two years, you know, if you, if you did a pro forma and took that out, what would that, gen, you know, ballpark, what would that actually look like in terms of really understanding what that higher free cash balance means as a real cushion versus sort of a short-term cushion? as a function of what's been going on. Is that a question you can answer? I, I can't give you a, a specific on the amount of money, but I can tell you that's why you're seeing an increase in the amount of free cash because you're seeing a greater amount of budget turnbacks where we were able to cover some of those costs we had anticipated were able to be covered uh, either under the CARES funding or through FEMA mm-hmm. funding. And, and what I'm what I'm obviously being the finance curmudgeon that I've been trained to become for the time I've spent in the Warren, the Warren Committee, uh, I'm pick, I'm picturing two years out, suddenly the tide starts to flow in the opposite direction around where the, you know, where the pull on funds is. So that uh, while it looks like a nice thing right now, and it is, mm-hmm. um, if we play it with a longer term perspective, it's not quite as fat there as it might seem to be right now, maybe maybe even out through a year from now. So we'll take the easy budget cycles, but. <laughs> yes, we'll end up paying for them at the end. Yes. Right well, I, I think it, I think that's a good point, Gus, because and it counsels in favor of sticking to the discipline that we've had in the use of free cash, um, that what this is to the extent we can use some of these funds, particularly with sort of the, even the unseen unfunded liabilities, right? Like the the unseen unfunded liability that we had in the town of probably about, I don't know about the total, probably about a million dollars worth of fire trucks, right? So we had an unfunded unseen liability two or three years ago because we had two fire trucks that were extraordinarily expensive and obvious necessities to the town that needed to be replaced that we didn't reflect anywhere, right? And we've covered those. We've been able to cover um, within the rules of the program, some of these previously unfunded liabilities, which should enable us to kind of dig ourselves out of some of the various longer term holes that we've had, you know, rather than t- taking the approach of going back to what we've done before with free cash, which is using it to sort of supplement the operating budget to avoid an override, to avoid sort of uncomfortable issues where you could um, use it. And I was actually just pulling back up, Nick, when you had your um, the 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 sheet up there with the calculations. I'm pulling up what I had as the when I originally did my projection of where we were going with these reserves, um, which was when, which led to our creation of the financial policies. Um, and when we did that in in fiscal year 18, there was 1.1 million dollars in the stabilization fund. Our reserves as a share of expenditures was actually high was 13.8%, but of that 13.8%, over 5 million was from the MSBA reimbursement fund from the 2008 refinancing of that, of the MSBA's obligation. And that was the lion's share of our reserves at the time. It was the lion's share of the reserves um, in 2015 when our bonds in the public safety building were rated. Um, 
And obviously we saw in Nick's projection, this is five fiscal years later, that's been paid down. It's at 583 and it's going to zero. Um, I was happy to see that the numbers I had up are the exact same numbers. They should be the same numbers as before. Um, but we've been able to um, get from where we would have been absent that course correction, we'd probably be at under 6% in reserves. And we stuck on the path that we were on five years ago. Um, but, but with that change, with the discipline from the town administration and the Warren Committee um, and everyone else, we've been able to get back to, you know, get, get back to where we were, close to where we were before, but with a more stable foundation because our reserves were from an accounting standpoint, um, they, they looked higher than they really were because those funds were committed. They've been paid out. They've been paid out as debt service on all of those bonds from the, the, the 2001 to 2003, uh, three school renovation projects. So I think while, while we're not out of the woods, I think we do have an opportunity if we can, can adopt the discipline budget again this year uh, to put ourselves on a stable footing and to transition toward what I think will probably be the last piece of addressing all of this, at least from a policy standpoint, which would be to identify some stable source of funding for the regular capital budget, similar to what we did for the municipal building stabilization fund. I think that would be, we don't need to do it in the next year or two, but I think that's something that um, as we look ahead or as, as the, the board and the Warren Committee look ahead is something we ought to be thinking about because that I think would be the last piece of the, the puzzle. Um, and we could get to the point where um, we can, if we get to, if we get the, the, if we can get our stabilization fund and those permanent reserves to a high enough level, we don't have to worry as much about the free cash as a source of our general reserves. I mean, last year we made a big contribution to the stabilization fund. I certainly think as we build this budget, we should be looking to make another oversized contribution to the stabilization fund um, and get those kind of longer term reserves um, locked in there. And we have some potential sales of town property and town land that will will pad, will pad some of those funds as well. So um, I, I just wanted to note that as, as well and to echo what you said, Gus, that, that this the good free cash position, the free cash position is even a little better than it looks because from a a balance sheet or from an accounting perspective, we used a lot of free cash last year. Now, from our reserve standpoint, we used a lot of it to move to other reserve accounts. So if we hadn't made such oversized um, contributions or reserve accounts, we'd have an even bigger free cash balance. But I think it's smarter to move them into those accounts so they can sort of be there uh, permanently or, or at least be there for, for a genuine rainy day rather than to sort of just, um, you know, close some of those operating gaps and avoid, you know, harder and more difficult decision. So I, I'm in full agreement um, with the curmudgeonly approach on this, that I think if we can stick to it and we can take advantage of some of those ARPA funds to do some things that, that some things we wouldn't otherwise be able to do, but also uh, within those regulations to do some things that we might've done um, or would have been in that gray area of maybes um, to get some of our capital stuff on a more stable foundation will be in, will be in much better in, in shape financially. And I was thinking back too, just speaking of, of old presentations, or is when you put up the thing on state aid, Gus, the, the analysis that you did probably two or three years ago, um, where you sort of went through the last 10 years of the budgets and, and, and how close the close match between, you know, com compared to what we've done in the first decade of the 2000s, we didn't do that many overrides over the last 10 years, but the overrides we did do over the last 10 years, um, it's almost dollar for dollar 
to our reduction in state aid, right? And, and, and you get there through different ways and it happened a little different time, but essentially what we've done is we've roughly tried to maintain our, our level of services um, with some modest enhancements, but mostly maintaining our level of services by backfilling um, what would come from the state and from a broader source of revenue to what's you know funded by the property taxes. And then you look back in those old charts in the 80s and 35% of the budget was coming from coming from the state. It was an entirely different, uh, entirely different world. So do you need a, a vote to, from us tonight, Christine, to certify that that our our fiscal year 22 budget complies with the town's financial policies and then instruct that that test be posted on the website and then eventually published in the Warren Report? Yes, please. All right, Gus. I move that we, uh, I guess, uh, uh, vote to approve the publishing of the financial tests on the town website in recognition of the fact that we have determined that the F the uh, financial goals for the town have been met by the FY23 uh, budget that's projected here. And uh, I, I guess what we're approving is that it be, it be published and made available to the public. And certifying that it complies. Are we certifying or is it the state that certifies it? You are certified. It's your financial policy. So we are certified. Okay. Okay. We get to certify too. So I move that we certify that the, that the, uh, the free cash and the financial uh, state of the town meet our financial tests and uh, the information can therefore be published and made available to the public. Second. All right, Mr. Peterson. Yes. Murphy. Aye. And Mr. Marcucci. Aye. Great. Because if, if we if it does not comply and we don't certify, we have homework under our policy. Because I believe we are then required to write an explanation as to why. So, and I, I don't want to add that to the to the list of town report uh, homework that you're supposed to be working on. So, I'm sorry, Christine, you were breaking up. I didn't hear that come through. I don't. My <laughs> uh, do, connection don't worry, must Mike, be bad. I'm running interference for you. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, next item up is annual town meeting warrant articles, board of select and warrant articles. Yes. So this is, um, I apologize. I did not include, I don't believe the preliminary list of warrant articles, uh, in your packet. Um, currently we have 22 articles, um, presented, um, the warrant closes is slated to close next week. Um, so if you want to let me know if there's any articles the Board of Selectmen are planning on um, presenting or want to have a discussion about, we can add that to the list as well, either tonight or obviously next Tuesday. Uh, Christine, it might make sense for, you to, for me to mention the two okay. that I, I raised with you, mm -hmm. just so Mike and Pete, if we're going to close it next week. Um, one of one of <laughs> I was joking with Christine. One of the advantages of having to go through a number of different old meetings minutes was that I got reminded of some of the conversations we had and some of the comments we made about things that would be presented in or included in the warrant at a town meeting. One of them was the uh, dog walking policy at the state hospital. That uh, if we can develop that and put it uh, forward for approval. Uh, in order to, no pun intended, put some teeth into that policy to prevent dogs from biting people that would, uh, or attempt, or coming close to biting people, especially selectmen who are running uh, for exercise at the state hospital property, that, that would be one item. Um, and the other one, I'm, get, I'm getting out ahead of myself just a little bit, 
And so I, I just want to throw it out there. The, the, I think we're going to have a more detailed discussion next week on this broader topic of the school project. Um, I just want to throw the idea out there that we might want to consider having a, it would be a non-binding article that would effectively be a statement of intent on what a reconceived school project would be. And, and the intent would just be to kind of lay out some expectations that seem to have been problematic uh, in this past attempt that if we can come up with a statement that says, here's the concept. When I say we, in fairness, it's probably more the school committee coming up with a concept. Uh, but the idea being to, to lay that concept out there in a non-binding Warren article with the thought that if, if it's given people heartburn, we find out about it early in the process. But more importantly, if it gets accepted by the, the voters at that town meeting, uh, we start the process of building support for a new project early in the process as a, as a way of sort of building momentum. So it's a it's a very preliminary idea on my part. Neither of you have even heard it. I don't know even for sure that it's a great idea. But uh, if we're going to look at uh, closing things out next week, I want to just throw it out there for you to consider. Thank you. Anything else based on the review of our past uh, item. And yeah, that will be an agenda item obviously next week at our meeting on the 25th and it can be added certainly before we, the warrant will close at the end of, uh, the end of our meeting next week. Right? Yeah, right at the end. end. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Pete. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Pete, anything from you? I, I don't have anything, no. Uh, the only other one I just want to bring to your attention that Gus and I had a conversation about today. I had included um, an article on adoption of the townwide master plan. Um, the planning board has already adopted the townwide master plan. They are the, the organization within the town that is required to uh, adopt the plan. So I know when we had a meeting, I believe it was over the summer, uh, that at least two of you, I think, wanted this to go to town meeting, um, which is why we've included it. But after having my conversation with Gus today, um, my intention would be to pull this article, given that the planning board has already approved it. Oh, Gus, you're out. You're muted. I, I toggled the wrong direction. Given that Christine pointed out that I was one of those two, um, I, I, I assured her that I must have had a brilliant line of thinking at the time. But looking at it again, it made absolutely no sense to me that we'd do it because for two reasons. Number one, it is the planning board's plan, so they've adopted it. That's end of story. And number two, it, it would be very confusing if by some freak event of the world that it got voted down. I don't even know what that would mean. So it's, it's, it's at worst a destructive article and probably a pointless one as far as I can see. So to the extent I contributed to the confusion, I quite willingly withdraw my idea. Do you know, or Pete, you were on the committee. Um, do you know whether the committee had expected that it would be the plan would eventually be submitted to uh, town meeting? And I know that to qualify as a master plan under the state statutory definition of master plan, it only has to be adopted by the planning board. And that's what we've done. I know, Mark, you've mentioned, I think other towns have presented them 
to town meetings or to city councils or what have you as well, I think for the persuasive effect, I guess, that it would have on other town boards and committees. Um, and so I, I don't I don't have a strong view on it one way or the other, but I guess I would want to know, Pete, if if the National Planning Committee was expecting it to be submitted to um, town meeting or not. So I don't remember any expectation on uh, town meeting approval. What I do uh, recall is that there was an expectation that there would be a follow-up uh, committee of some sort that would be an implementation committee. Mm -hmm. and, and we had talked about that at the select board meeting, but uh, I don't think that uh, both of you wanted to do that. It makes sense to have someone monitoring the, the master plan going forward and not just put it up on the shelf. And I think the idea um, of an implementation is you keep looking at it. Again, in my experience, it's the uh, planning or economic and planning department that takes the lead to, to follow up and uh, send out periodically uh, status reports or request for status reports to all the different town boards and committees that are involved uh, to get feedback. Medway does that, Franklin does that. I'm just looking at the, the charter. I mean, there's nothing specific in the charter that says that it will be, um, that it will be, uh, definitely submitted to town meeting, although there is something in the deliverable that it, the completion of a townwide master plan for submission to the planning board and to town meeting. So it doesn't, that's a deliverable. Um, it doesn't say specifically that it has to be, but at least suggests that that was a possibility. And I, I don't know that it was more than a possibility because this is something we've talked about from time to time about whether it would be worthwhile to do that or not. Um, I mean, I guess I tend to agree with Gus that if it's already been adopted, then you end up in a situation where the town meeting says no to it, then does, does the planning board go back and revisit it? And what does that mean? And then ultimately, I think from the state statute or a state statutory standpoint, it doesn't make a difference because state statute just looks to the planning board. But in terms of the, um, the, the terms of the- It, it ties you know, in and that zoning is supposed to be consistent with the master plan. Right, right. And, plan, and zoning typically originates with the planning board. So it all comes from the same source. Right. We can keep it on there for now and then we can withdraw as we get uh, some more information back. Uh, Mr. Chairman, you may want to reach out to the planning board and get their sense of whether they uh, feel that the, the town should uh, consider it or they're comfortable with proceeding the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's worthwhile to do. Just to see if they have they have a view. I, again, I don't I don't have a strong view one way or the other. I think that the I think the plan is is general enough that I don't know 
um, you know, it's certainly, it, it's certainly general as a master plan would be. So I don't know how much of an additional persuasive effect it would have in terms of actual concrete, you know, implementation of particular policies. Um, it would certainly bring more attention to it and get people to read it and think about it. Um, and because it's, it's, you know, there's a lot in there and it's well put together. So um, yeah, let's hold this and we can talk about it and uh, solicit the views of the planning board and see what they think and whether it's worthwhile doing. We can talk to Sarah in the morning and touch base with her. She can uh, bring it up at the next planning board meeting. Okay. That makes sense to me. All right. Anything else on these? Nope. Just let us know if there's anything else uh, you'd like to have added uh, for now. Okay. All right. Uh, our next item is we are requested to sign a letter to the Department of Housing and Community Development requesting a local preference for the affordable housing lottery at the Aura in Medfield. Um, just to refresh, uh, we are permitted um, in an affordable development. There is no, we're not allowed any local preference for the market rate units. Um, however, we are allowed um, a potential local preference with respect to the affordable units up to a maximum of the seven of 70% of the affordable units. This is, there are 14 um, affordable units, which means I think mathematically uh, we can get about 10 of them. Is that right? I figure they round up or round down. Um, that, that would be where Medfield residents, current Medfield residents would have a preference in the lottery for the, for the affordable units uh, at the Aura. Um, we have done this with every one of our, um, every one of the LIP projects that we've adopted under the auspices of the housing production plan. Um, and I think when we've gone through the LIP process and negotiated the agreements, the expectation is that we will request uh, this local preference. And um, I believe it's been granted on, in, in each, on each occasion. I don't think the right. state has ever denied, uh, denied that local preference. Um, I don't think we've, we've used all of them. Uh, we have not used the full allocation of our local preferences in all of them, although we have in some. So it's definitely been a boon for uh, Medfield, uh, current Medfield residents to have an added opportunity to uh, qualify for, for these units. There's a letter in our packet on this. Uh, so Pete, any questions, comments, discussions? Uh, no, I'm, I'm ha happy that we're doing this. Yes. Mike, I, I had just one question. This is probably a def, uh, an error in my memory, I guess. But for some reason, I had it in my head that this housing was actually targeted to be, you know, preferred for veteran housing. Is that just, was there no discussion about it being veteran housing or preferred for veteran housing? Uh, there is a veteran preference as well in, I believe, Marvin, there's so many of the different programs, but I think there is a veteran preference in the lottery. I think in, in the weighting of the lottery, there is a preference for veterans. It may even outweigh the local preference. I have to remember okay. So, okay. so lottery it is a, formula. It, 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 I couldn't tell from the letter that it was that that was the case, and in my head I'd said, "Gee, I thought this was developed uh, appropriately, seeing it was originally Legion property that it was developed uh, to at least attempt to make veteran housing more available." 
so if it's still in that, that you've answered my question, it's not that my memory is getting bad. It's just that it doesn't show up ex specifically in this letter. That's fine. Right. Yeah. No, I, I do. I do recall that discussion as well. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think the town necessarily controls yeah. that part of it. I mean, it's definitely a preference within the lottery formula, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know that there is, I'm just trying to look it up. If you just give me a minute, I can look up the. I, I mean, I guess, I guess what I picked up on if if that's just a standard preference in all lotteries, that doesn't, I just had a recollection that this was described as a development that was sort of targeted to, you know, veteran housing. Uh, and it kind of made sense to me given the, given the background on the property, uh, but I didn't see that in the letter. And I'm not sure why anybody would have said that if it was just, if that's just a standard preference on all lotteries. So. Yeah. No, I'm just trying to look up the, uh, look up the lip application and see if we had an added one in there. Uh, just give, give me a minute, guess. This wasn't in the reading for tonight's class, because this question. So <laughs> let's see. Um, see, I'm batting 0 for 1 in the memory department here with that article that we just talked about. So if I at least can do one out of two, you know, my memory was good, I'll, I'll feel much better about myself when we close out at the end of the meeting. Well, you're already one out of two, though, with the Medfield Meadows recollection. Ah, that's right, too. Okay, okay. That. So you're, you're yeah, right. okay. um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not seeing in their lip application an added veterans preference. So it may be Gus that it was discussed, but sure. it's yeah. not beyond. I mean, it, generally it is a in, in mo as I understand in most of these formulas, it's a um, it's a strong preference. Yeah. And so, you know, because I, I remember when we were going through it for um, when we were going through it and, and the process, I think the, the weighting is a little differently for the housing authority properties, but when we were going through it, I think it was even in that lottery, it was ahead of mm -hmm. the local preference and it may be ahead of the local preference here too. I'm just trying to, I don't, I don't see something in the lip Gus that okay. application that covers it. Yeah, it just stuck in my head that this one in particular had been identified that way. Um, I'll talk to Sarah this morning. I, I remember the discussions about it, but I don't think it carried over into the LIP application. I think that was more ended up being the discussion of... Um, it was the early concept of uh, yeah. the original pitch when they were talking about the redevelopment. Yeah. And then I, think, and then I think when they... I think, frankly, when they got into it, they realized it weren't the programs to back it up that one might anticipate they would be. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I'm just not seeing it in the in the lip application. Okay. Hmm. All right. You sign the letter, Gus. So if it's if it's omitted, then. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> I'll back down to one out of three, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Okay. So. Do you have a sense, Christine, on this one? From I mean, obviously, if we're getting to this point of the lottery, we're we're getting closer. We're getting closer. You're getting closer. Is we're there a sense closer. of? I mean, it looks good. I mean, driving by it, it. I mean, I have to say, it it looks pretty good, and it, it almost it 
you know, it looks like it fits there. <laughs> it looks like it belongs there. Um, right. And uh, so they've done a nice job with that aspect of it, but, but no sense like when they'll actually be able to run the lottery and start advertising. No, I think I had a conversation with Gary Bel- uh, Pelletier, our building commissioner uh, about two weeks ago, and he thought they were probably a good five to six months out before they would do a lot of the interior and be ready to go. So um, okay. within that time frame. Okay. And just on the same area, dude, do we have a, um, I don't suppose we have any timing or any additional information on the, the intersection work. We don't. I did have a meeting with Representative Garlic last week, uh, and she was hoping uh, to have some follow-up conversations, uh, both with uh, Rep. Auchincloss and uh, some other of our local delegation to find out where we were on that. So okay, but it did pass, so it's it's in the yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, we're we're still just waiting to hear. Okay. All right. Any other questions, comments, discussion on the letter? I don't see any in the Q and A or any. Anything else? So um, do we have a motion? Yeah, I move that we sign the letter to the Department of Housing and Community Development requesting local preference for the affordable housing lottery at Aura at Medfield. Second. Uh, Mr. Peterson. Yes. Mr. Murby. Yes. And Mr. Marcucci. Yes. All right. I will. Um, when does this have to go out, Christine? I don't think there's a, a time frame on it. Did you want to? Uh, um, we'll we'll work. I can come by and sign it. I can okay. Sign it at some point. Yeah. Um, we'll leave it on the and, table for you. And it's just a single. It's uh, just yeah, just a single signature. Correct. Yes, just me. Yep. All right, uh, citizen comment. Yes, we had uh, Christine McHugh Potts has registered to, uh, let me promote her to a panelist, has registered to have a citizen's comment discussion with you. Is this our second citizen comment? There is. Four years of citizen comments? I actually talked to Chris and was congratulating her for being the first, but she reminded me she was already the first. um, So she's still the first and the second. So now she's a record holder. <laughs> and I'm surprised. I'm, I'm sure that surprises you too. That oh my gosh, how's everybody doing? Um, so I just wanted to, you know, as we um, begin looking ahead to 2022 town meeting, and now that there's a preliminary list of warrant articles that's surfacing, and you know we're also sort of looking back and then looking ahead at the same time after this, the, uh, the last special election around the town, the, te- the school project, um, I just thought, you know, there's been a lot of questions that have surfaced over the last few weeks. People are curious about what's happening uh, and the, pl- the path pour- forward with the school project. And I know you mentioned that's gonna be the subject of next week's meeting, but just kind of looking back um, at the, the last town meeting in May, one of the questions that's been come circling around is the status of the, um, the town approval of the creation of a study committee um, that would be charged with creating the the town bylaw to govern the school building projects. And that that was a binding um, article. And we're just, you know, people are trying to wrap their heads around the status of it. Um, You know, there are a lot of people who are very, who are very supportive of a new school and, and they want to be part of a unifying force to move that forward and to try and create um, some semblance of people being on the same track. And I think there's a lot of sentiment that that article, um, and it was you know, stated in the, in the warrant at the time, 
that the real the real focus of that was about creating community engagement and having people involved early and often to really look at the bylaw and look at the potential for you know ways to improve it and to strengthen it. And nothing's really happened since um, that May 2021 town meeting. So I just think it needs to have, um, you know, again, it was it was an article that was approved and it was, um, you know, something that everybody was in favor of. So just trying to figure out, you know, next steps in terms of moving forward with that, um, you know, to respond to the will of the, of the people, you know, the will of the town. And I also think that uh, just to clarify too, that um, soon after the, the town meeting, um, Mike and I and Scott McDermott had a discussion and Scott was um, willing, completely willing to play the role of making the appointments. But I, you know, I actually had my, I had to actually revisit the warrant article myself to see that the, the article itself actually didn't state that, that the town moderator would take on that role. So I would think that the assumption, assumption would be that the board of selectmen would have to really kick off that project or kick off that process and ask Scott, in fact, to take on that role officially because um, it didn't, the, the article actually didn't state that he would be the one to make the appointments to the study process. So I think that's an important clarification too. That was really it. And just, you know, to try and set the tone for next week if there's gonna be a discussion on this and to try and move it forward. And I, and I can comment on this just briefly um, that you know, I had, because the article didn't identify who the appointing body was, I had reached out to Chris after last year's town meeting to ask for the, from the sponsors of the article's perspective, who did they think should make the appointments to that committee? Um, I think she had expressed to me that they preferred the moderator to do it. And that led to the conversation with Scott. And I had reported back to you all uh, that Scott had agreed to take that on. And so um, I have no objection if this is now, as of this point, there's a request to us to do something about it. But we, I think from my point of view, I think we had discharged our responsibility by arranging, you know, coming to a consensus as to who was going to make the appointments to that committee and leaving it to Scott to make those appointments. If the request is that we make a formal request to Scott now, I don't, I don't I have no objection to it. We can't do it tonight. It's got to be on you know, an agenda, it's not on the agenda for tonight. I have no objection to changing course and, and doing it that way and, and taking this up next week. But it's not as though we didn't ignore the issue from the selectman standpoint. We reached out immediately after town meeting to, to address this. And that was the consensus we came to. I think I reported back uh, probably our first or second meeting, the first meeting after that conversation. So this can be on the agenda for next week. Mr. Chairman? Yeah. I'd just like to point out if we're talking about uh, either a new uh, bylaw or amending the existing bylaw, that you've got a very tight, tight time frame to comply with. What's, what can you just review the time frame, Mark? Well, if you, if you, if you anticipate getting something on this, year's uh, annual town meeting uh, warrant, uh, you've got an extremely tight uh, time period to get people together, draft something and submit it. 
just as you're just talking about as a practical matter in terms of getting it on a warrant. It's not, this is not a, it takes 90 days to get the attorney general to pass. No, that's after, that's after it's approved by town meeting. Right. So, but all we're working on is getting something that could go into an article in time for our May town meeting is what you're saying. Right. I mean, because my, my reaction to the task uh, which is separate from figuring out how to configure the committee and get the committee going. But I don't think we're talking about a total reconceived concept of a building committee. It's an issue that there's some, there were some concerns raised by members of the public around how the building committee operated uh, or operates and some thoughts about changes that need to be made. It seems to me it's an incremental improvement type thing where we start with uh, a bylaw that we already have and deal with the issues that have to be improved. So I don't, I, from my standpoint, it's not, the time frame we have here is, is not impossible to deal with because it would pr probably be better for this committee to take this on, deal with it in a relatively well-defined time window uh, and have that done in time to basically make it available for the town meeting so yeah i mean i think it's it's an addition right it's i don't think anything that's in the existing bylaw the, the bylaw just doesn't address um that specific topic right? that's, that's it, not what that bylaw was intended to do in the first place it does what it was intended to do which was much narrower uh, it doesn't really get into programmatics and things like that it was it was more the uh strategic planning aspect of it as opposed to a specific school project so whether you insert something into that bylaw that deal just with school projects or you put another separate bylaw in that addresses school projects either way it's going to have to be more or less self-contained in my opinion right well because it doesn't address the hybrid nature of a MSBA project, right? Because when, right. when we originally started, we tried to just use the existing bylaw for the school project, and we right. submitted we submitted the existing committee as the school building committee, and we were rejected, right? So I mean that was something that um, well, that, that's the whole perfect. separate thing. They got yeah. this. They've got multiple categories and requirements for membership. If you have a broad enough local bylaw, apparently they at least theoretically will accept that. Right. Uh, but ours wasn't even close. Right. We just have to take that into account. That was just not, because as, as you said, Mark, the, the focus was more on the longer term strategic planning aspects of it when we wrote that bylaw, and was it four years ago, three years ago? Um, so, yeah, I think that's right. It, right. So it, was, it, it was frankly to avoid the situation where some interest group or whatever got it in their heads to do a particularly expensive capital project and essentially jump to the head of the line as opposed to looking at what made sense and, and prioritizing what was in the town's best interest. Right. No, I, 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 <laughs> I recall the discussions and the work on that pilot. All right. So this will be on the agenda next week. Anything else, Chris? Um, no, that's it. Thank you. I appreciate right. it. And a lot of, I know a lot of other people appreciate it too, who are, are chiming in tonight or watching tonight. No. Thank you. All right, what is next? 
uh, consent agenda, the Council on Aging requests a one-day beer wine permit for Wednesday, January 19th, Wednesday, February 23rd, and Wednesday, March 16th from 4 to 7 p.m. for the monthly supper club. Motion. Unless there's a question, discussion, concerns about this request. <laughs> Seems to fall into the right time of day, Gus, for, for this. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Um, I move that we approve the Council on Aging's request for a one-day beer wine permit for Wednesday, January 19th, Wednesday, February 23rd, and Wednesday, March 16th from 4 to 7 p.m. for the monthly supper club. Second. Uh, all in favor, Mr. Peterson? Yes. Mr. Murby? Yes. And Mr. Marcucci, yes. All right, meeting minutes. I think some of these are good to go. So from your perspective, I, I know I've looked, I've gone through, I sent some minor comments on a couple today. Let me just look back at the ones that, uh, you know, working off of your comments, Gus. Mm -hmm. So I think the I think February twenty third, June first, and then December eighth and October nineteenth are good from my perspective. Say that again. Hold on. And January fourth, our short meeting this year. So for me, January fourth. I've had a chance to look at January 4th, 2022, February 23rd, 2021, June 1st, 2021, and December 8th, 2021. December 7th? Must be December 7th. Yeah, the file says 12-8, but it must be. I, I think the 12-8 is the comments. That's actually uh, the- Oh, March 23rd, 23rd, you're right. Yeah. March 23rd. So February 23rd, March 23rd. I, I, I will admit I had everybody scrambling for the December 8th minutes this morning. And then we realized that was the date of your comments. It was on March 23rd. So yeah, I, I apologize. No, no, it's we, not. We, as we adopt a variety of policies, we need to have to adopt policy for how we name word, the naming conventions for word documents. Um, so we know how it is um, or even better to get um 67% of the board of selectmen to sign up for their town of Medfield email addresses. So we could do this in a Google doc on the town of Medfield server. Um, that would be really great. That's within the discretion of 67% of the board. So <laughs> they can determine that 67%, whoever they well, might and, be. And, well, speaking of 33% of the apparently board. That, apparently that I was, that was enough for email. Pete. Pete's done. <laughs> I've looked. It's, Pete's it was done. probably time dependent. It was a. What, what happened was, to Pete? I don't know. Where did Pete, Pete go? The suggestion that he get another email address, that was too much for him. He's done. He's out. <laughs> Where did he go? I hope he's okay. I hope he, um, he's, oh, there he is. I, there he comes. He's coming back. There he okay. is. I, also, we are we are on track so that, um, I mentioned to Pete earlier, then you would only have one or two minutes outstanding. Uh, we're on track to catch up so that you wouldn't have to have, uh, you know, edits on 10 at a, at a time. So. Okay. See, but Chris, if, the, if this, this is at all like OPEB, that just means we're going to be doing this for the next 10 years, and <laughs> then we'll get to one or two. <laughs> so, so, Mike, I think you said you were good with five. 
January 4th, February 23rd, June 1st, which, March 23rd. Uh, March 23rd. March 23rd and December 7th. Or no, I, I misspoke. It's February 23rd, January 4th, June 1st, March 23rd. And those are the only four. And those are the only four that you're ready for. Those are the well, those are the four where I've either looked at them before you or looked at them after you. And you're good so with them. I'm good with them. I'm going to suggest that we at least approve those four to simplify the list. If if you're good with those four, Pete. I, I'm good with all of the ones on this list at, at this point that we've been given. Um, and, and so, I sent and so, some of my yeah. comments just to Chris I, and Nick. Um, and and uh, so now that we're sort of sharing them amongst the three of us, I'll, I'll start doing that instead. Um, and I, I'm I had, good I had a little glitch on my uh, on my audio. I couldn't hear you guys for okay. a couple, of, which is why I had to log out and log back in. So I missed a little bit of what was being said, but I assume it was about the minutes. Okay. I'm also good with all of them. Uh, my comments were all, they, they would be approve them with the comments that were inserted, that, that they're editorial and typographical. The only one that I made a change to that I thought was more than merely minor typographical was the November 16th, 2021 minutes where I inserted a paragraph around it was the it was the first post uh, post election mm -hmm. school discussion that we had and I added a paragraph that hit on there were several key points that I had I had at least submitted as potential in my head it was ways of making you know cutting the corners a little bit to get to a new path forward um, the only one that I think the three of us had agreement about was to let the MSBA know we were withdrawing uh, so I, I I pointed that out in the in the paragraph. Uh, I actually didn't even specifically state it. It was just that I thought in the context of describing that discussion, that was important. So uh, if you're going to want to look at any any of the mischief that I did to any of these, you would want to look at the November 16th one just to make sure that you uh, agreed with the statement. And then I think there was one that I had a it was a it was a comment. And it had to do with me just not being sure about remembering what actually happened. So I wasn't, I think, Mike, it was something that you would have known for sure that I put it in as a comment. Is that on November 16th? No, it was. Uh, uh, no, it's the December 7th one. Okay. So it's the bottom two on the list are the two that I I did more than simply minor editorial wordsmithing type stuff. Okay. And I'm actually Mr. good with November November 16th too, Gus. Mr. Chairman. Yes, Mark. So it would be my strong recommendation that you pass as many of these as possible, even if it's subject to uh, providing subsequent uh, um, edits or something like that, uh, except for the most recent of these. Yeah, I mean, I, I just looked at November, I, I, I looked at November 16th as well before this meeting, so I'm good with those changes as well, Gus. Okay. I mean, I, I'm happy to adopt these minutes subject to correction if necessary, if we, we can always okay. go back and correct them. So yeah. I, I'm happy to adopt them all. I'm okay. fine with that. We're good. Motion? Uh, 
then then if I'll call them out individually, Christine, the only one I want to point out is the one that's listed on the agenda is the June 4th meeting, mm -hmm. June 4th, 2021. That's actually in the minutes identified as the June 1st meeting. That's the same, that's the same date as the one that's identified as June 1st, but the, the one identified as June 1st is the Peter Diamond hearing. Well, there, well, there were two meetings for June 1st. So there's, there's yes. two sets of minutes for June 1st, the six o'clock and then the seven o'clock? Correct, there is no June 4th. Oh, you should have a June 4th. I will send that to you. That was the Friday meeting we had, it was a short meeting. So when I opened up, okay. So if there were two June 1st, then okay. I don't think I ever saw the June 4th. Okay, we'll send on the June 4th to you. I have that as well. All right, so yep. that one, I'll leave we'll that hold, one hold off. Hold the June 4th to the next meeting. Got it, okay. And then there's two June 1st, all right. Correct. Um, so you want, you're ready for a motion? I move that we accept the following meeting minutes subject to subsequent corrections, it, you know, minor corrections uh, before finalizing. Meeting minutes for June 4th, 2022, January 6th, 26th, 2021, February 23rd, 2021, two sets of minutes for June 1st, 2021, representing two separate meetings held on that day. June 15th, 2021, March 23rd, 2021, October 19th, 2021, November 16th, 2021, December 7th, 2021, as laid out in our meeting agenda. Just a quick correction. I think you called the first one June instead of January. Yes. I was going to say, can we just agree that we're approving the ones that are listed on the agenda? Yes, we can. And uh, but in case anybody wants them called out uh, with the correction that the very first meeting minute that I called out was January 4th, 2022. Mr. Peterson. Yes. Mr. Murphy. Yes. And Mr. Marcucci. Yes. And thank you, Bill, for pointing out Gus's <laughs> reference to June 4th. Thank you, Bill. All right. Um, so next meeting, oh, time minister updates. Just a couple of things this evening. Uh, the town clerk has asked me to remind everybody if you've taken out nomination papers, they are due back on February 7th. Um, if you remember during the last state budget cycle, we received funding for new voting machines and I'm pleased to report that they arrived last week and they are fantastic. Um, quite a leap in technology from what we had. Um, and then the last thing I had, I don't know if you received the notice, but to let the residents know as well, Sheriff McDermott will be at the griddle on January 24th at 8 AM to meet with residents and town officials. So, I have. All right, uh, selectman reports, Pete. Energy committee, uh, we had an energy committee meeting. They got their fingers in a ton of pies at this point. Um, and then uh, earlier today, there was a meeting of the uh, town of Medfield uh, Climate Action Plan uh, 
subgroup of the energy that's writing the uh, climate action plan for the town to, to present to the town to be adopted. Uh, and so that's getting worked on very rigorously. And there is going to be a public forum, 7.30 on January 31, which is on the uh, agenda list here to explain the uh, plan. And that's it. All right, Gus. I have uh, not, not a lot of uh, official stuff for the town. I will make a couple of observations. One right after the snowstorm uh, last, like a week ago, uh, my wife and I got to try out the uh, cross-country track at the rail trail, and I can vouch for it being a really nice uh, cross-country with the snow is there. It's a great place to go. Uh, we actually got cross-country skis uh, just over the Christmas holidays, so it was our first time out on the skis, and we made it all the way up to Dover. Uh, it, about as far up as anybody had bothered to beat the trail on the way up by the beaver pond ran across uh, christian donner dick judge and several of their uh, colleagues uh trying it out as well so get to thank them on the trail for all the work that they put in uh and then on top of that i just want to make the observation about the rugged medfielders because on top of that i also in uh, on saturday i think it was uh, went and saw hospital hill was just packed with people uh, and then when I checked the hospital site itself on what was it Sunday when it was like one degree out or something like that, uh, there were a fair number of dog walkers there walking their dogs. So kudos to the rugged medfielders and the rugged dogs of Medfield for being out there in near sub-zero weather, still taking advantage of the state hospital. That's it. Okay. Um... No substantive updates on the collective bargaining um, process that's ongoing, um, and we'll report next when we're allowed to report some substance on any of those discussions, but they are underway. Um, and, uh, sadly for um, the town, uh, Jim Brand uh, resigned from the board of the Affordable Housing Trust. Um, he's had some some stuff to deal with professionally and personally of taking up some time. So he's going to concentrate his uh, his efforts on um, on his service on the planning board um, and step down from the affordable housing trust. So at some point we'll have to fill the remaining term, uh, his remaining term. Uh, I don't remember offhand if he's up this year or next year. Um, in the interim, I was elected as the chairman of the board of trustees again. Um, Yesterday was the day for uh, the RFP to be returned to the Medfield Housing Authority for the Tilden Village, or today, excuse me, today I believe was the day for the RFP to be returned uh, for the Medfield uh, Housing Authority Tilden Village expansion. And so I haven't heard from Sarah or anyone else whether any responses were made, but we should hear in short order, um, depending on what the responses say and the direction the housing authority goes, this could be coming back before and before the trust and before the board of selectmen. Um, and on that as well, the, um, the renamed housing options incentive program, uh, RFP return date is uh, January 28th. Um, and Sarah has done some outreach to different developers and also building owners uh, in the downtown area. Uh, if anyone's listening who meets that category, there's, I think you can still get one. And, uh, uh, there was some, she's had some discussions with them and and to try to prompt some interest in that particular program. So we'll see, uh, we'll see where that one 
uh, where that one goes. But um, that, and then the housing production plan um, is still in production. Um, but I think the expectation is that there will be a draft for us and for the planning board to review and hopefully adopt um, in February, one of our February meetings, the, um, that has to be adopted and then certified by the state before we can be eligible for an extension or renewal of our safe harbor uh, in May. So um, hopefully that'll get done. The, the trust will also be adopting a new, uh, I think it's a two year, two or four year, forget the, the time period covered action plan. That's the more specific document that governs some of the more um, straightforward and, 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 and mechanical things that the, the trust will be working on during that. that I think it's, a, I think it's four years, but it could be two, whatever it is. We've, we've got the smaller document that um, is just a, just a trust board issue. It won't come, uh, come to the select mode. Obviously we'll send you a copy of it when it's, when it's ultimately adopted. Um, I skipped over the next meeting dates. Um, we're meeting next week, uh, January 25th, hopefully back uh, in person, uh, assuming that uh, my clock does not get restarted in that time. And then um, you have on here, Christine, the on January 31st, we're invited to the Town of Medfield Climate Action Plan presentation. Is that a, a not that we shouldn't want to go um, just for, for interest in it, but is that a command performance are we expected there or is that just listed in case we go and you want to post it as a meeting because no it's a, it's a specific, there. I'm sorry it's a specific invitation uh Tomcap has requested that you attend that meeting um I believe that at least one of you has a conflict with that date though okay so. and that meeting will be held via zoom as well but that's just attending and watching and correct. They're not, they're not ask for I, no, I don't anticipate, on our part. No, I don't anticipate you participating. It would just be an invitation to hear the presentation. Got it. Okay. Understand. Yeah. Understood. Um, all right. If there is nothing else, I'll take a motion to adjourn. I have oh, one sorry. I have one question actually on the informational items. Uh, and it, you know, it's one of these things when you throw data at in, in information at, at me after a while when they've it's happened enough times I, one of those times I'll sit down and try to understand it. Uh, so this week I took a look at the, uh, the, the results of groundwater sampling mm -hmm. and I don't know whether anybody here is going to be able to answer my questions but this is the Texaco follow-up sampling. If I understood the data that was in the report I think what it's reporting is that there are still uh, excessively high uh, chemo, you know, compounds that are being found in the groundwater that's being sampled. So I'm, I'm sitting there trying to understand why we get these reports and what they're telling us. And I think the reason we're getting them is because this is follow-up groundwater monitoring and the results of that groundwater monitoring are still detecting amounts of certain compounds that exceed allowable limits. Right. Am I reading? Is that do I in fact understand what this thing's saying? So when that I is, saw those numbers, I, I got it. Okay, that's all I needed to know. I wanted to be sure that the the problems I were seeing first. I said these are problems. Why are they just sending us the report? Then I said, well, that's why they're doing the monitoring, you big dummy. So, <laughs> uh, and they're they're required for a period of years to provide those reports yeah. to you. Even even if there was a no detect and there was no information that you needed to know, they would still be required yeah. for a period of time to present those. Yeah. 
Well, what this tells me though, is that there's still issues there that they, there's a good, it's good that they're still monitoring. Okay. That's all. All right. Is there a motion to adjourn? I move, I move that we adjourn. All right. Peterson. Murby. Aye. And Marcucci. Yes. All right. Thank you all. Have a good night. Have a good night, everybody. everybody.